it's a 60 shot unit that would cause 30 automatic wounds. episode 27 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by Dan Wellington. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon, including Casual Conversations, our brand new mini-series, and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. Tonight's topic can just be a nice sort of like conversation, really, because we're going to talk about a few things, including um, a brand new On Crusade segment in which we talk about the Adeptus Mechanicus on Crusade. We had a lot of fun recording that um, earlier in the week, and it, it did go on a little longer than uh, originally planned, because it's quite an in-depth Crusade system that they've got, and there was just a lot of fun, like, fun toys to talk about. So yeah, so there's that to uh, look forward to, but also... The sort of spotlight topic for tonight is, for the first time in a while, it's going to be less about a particular publication or rule set that's recently come out from Games Workshop, and instead, it's going to be more about um, sort of just not creating your own way to play, but just one of the other ways to play the game, which is playing unbalanced games, which you know is not to say unbalanced in terms of like unfair matched play <laughs> um but but more unbalanced in the sense of typically one player has a larger army than the other player um quite often twice the size of and it'll be a very cinematic battle where you know one side has distinct numerical advantages uh, both probably in model count and points values um but you know the aim of the game will be for the defender or the smaller army to achieve a particular set of goals, even if it's just, you know, survive as long as possible, have, you know, have someone in a certain building at the end of the game or something like that. And it's all about creating those cinematic moments where, you know, because typically warfare is not an even matchup. Yeah, that's uh, that's fairly um, fairly evident through uh, the entirety of human history, <laughs> and future history 
if uh, 40k is to be believed. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's still sort of, I find it odd that obviously this idea of gentlemanship and matching off one's, you know, skills of warfare against another obviously means that in a gameplay environment, you're trying to bring two even forces to a battle. But actually, when does that ever happen in the law? You know, when do two pretty evenly matched foes happen to be that closely comparable that it, there's no perceivable difference between the forces? Yeah, not often. So yeah, so there are like, you know, some missions and rule sets and special rules and stuff that are out there across a couple of various options of publications that basically help facilitate playing these kind of unbalanced games. And we're also going to talk about, you know, like why you would even want to play them because, again, yes, one player definitely has a larger force than the other. So uh, why why bring a larger force and uh, play against a smaller one? Well, there are reasons and there are some cool missions and options available. So we're going to talk about those later in our spotlight topic. So, yeah, in addition to everything else that we're going to talk about tonight, if, you know, you want to get even more, like, hobby content from us, then it, there is out there is more of it out there for you to listen to. Because uh, just the other week, we published our second in our Casual Conversation series um, over on the Patreon. So uh, it was Dan and Dave who joined me again this time to just sit and chat hobby like we do. Yep. Just a, a little bit of a chat talking about whatever pops into our heads that's generally hobby-related, kind of. Yeah, and on this occasion, it was um, I believe it was jumping around between yeah. Admech, just pre-drop of the Codex, yep. yeah. um, the finer points of Orc culture, yes, um, and also a, our musings on the return to 40k Demonkin and the prospects of... Uh, sort of mixed mortal and demon worshippers of gods in their books, like self-contained, yeah. in a similar fashion to the way that the um, like maggot kin and head and knights and stuff exist in Age of Sigma. Yeah. Then there was uh, some interesting ideas we came up with and interesting directions that we could possibly see, you know, Games Workshop taking with this concept of like demon kin army books. So yeah, it was a it was a good one. It was just another sort of you know hour of us just chatting with no real plan in mind, but just talking about anything that comes to mind. And it was just another good good chat. Yeah, nice went nice way to spend an evening. It was so you know if you would like to you know join in on our musings and listen to us just chat hobby anytime, then yeah, go check that out on the Patreon and. Uh, it's just the first of those real rewards now that we can offer patrons. And like, I'm really enjoying doing them because I feel like there is, is a little thank you to those that support us. Yeah. And, um, they get to, you know, le- learn a little bit more about us really as hobbyists um, yeah. and less so as podcasters. <laughs> well, I mean, if they, if they like us enough to, you know, put money in, then uh, I guess they want to hear more. And I want to make sure that they get more to listen to. So everybody go. wins. So yeah, um, go check out the Patreon and uh, enjoy. So with that, we're going to move straight on, first of all, to our latest paint station garrison, where we will see what it is that we've been working on recently. 
So we'll be back in just a moment, guys. Paint Station Garrison. And we're back, guys. So we are in the paint station garrison now, so we're going to quickly, I think, sort of run through the various things we've been working on recently. So, uh, Dan, why don't I give you a chance to talk for once on this show so far? Go on, then. Uh, Tell us so what let, you've been up to. Let's talk about my my whips and my completed, I guess. Uh, so currently on my desk, there is some more Death Guard. I've got a bunch of the uh, the characters, like the, the Foul Blightspawn, um, and I've uh, converted up a um, uh, a Lord of Virulence from the uh, the sort of uh, push fitty Lord of Contagion model that was that came out a while back. Is that um, the um, the Lord? He's, he's got a special, name, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's got a name, but he's not really a special character. Lord Felthius or something like that. Yeah, the one who's uh, holding the sort of plague orb. Yep, so basically I used his body and gave him different arms and a different head because I didn't like that head. Uh, so he's got like a Chaos Space Marine head. He's got... Um, his left arm is the power fist from the... Or like the fist from one of the greater possessed. With like oh, the okay, big, uh, yeah. big kind of talon fingers. Uh, and his right arm is the the plague spewer from the the kind of terminators with an extra bit that's the the kind of like flamer attachment from the obliterators on the bottom of that. So he's got his kind of like double barreled uh, plague spewer thing. That's so uh, cool. that basically means I've got all of the sort of generic, well, or not generic, but all the kind of Death Guard specific HQ choices and characters available to me. Do you have a Mortarian? Uh, not yet. <laughs> well, it'll be next on the list then. I mean, um, yes, that would be nice. I would very much like to paint that. Uh, not sure if I'd want to build that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what we'll made see. you want to convert a lot of virulence then? Uh, well, I mean, I had the model and I wanted to do something with it and I didn't feel like I needed another Lord of Contagion. So, Fair enough. We'll create um, the, the alternative. Um, there's some there's some any. fun abilities you can you can do with him in the Death Guard Codex. So uh, when I go back to playing them, I'll uh, give him a go. But uh, more recently, I've been playing other stuff. So also to on my my work in progress, I've I've been building some Admech stuff. Um, so I've I've got a whole bunch of the uh, the doggos to uh, to paint up at some point, and I've got one of the flyers to build. So uh, that's kind of after painting these Death Guard, that's the next job. Are you going to be doing the canopy uh, see-through or painted in? Uh, that depends on very much how tired I am when I come to building that. <laughs> what um, what variant are you in for, or have you been able to magnetize it in some way? Uh, I I think we're going to go with the bomber. Uh, that seems like the the kind of good inverted commas option <laughs> in the current codex um I, I i've not had a chance to read the details but i heard apparently there is some obscure rule system that allows for a single squad of skitari or whatever to be deployed across multiple of these flyers oh yeah <laughs> the um the transport 
flyer, you can deploy. You can basically, if you have two of them, you can use it as a drop pod for Skitari units. So like one unit of ten can fit in two of them or whatever, as long as they deploy within X inches of each other. <laughs> it's really weird. What happens if like one of them gets shot down before well, you can no, deploy? They deploy it. They deploy from deep strike to do it. Like a drop pod. Oh, uh, okay. So you and, mean so yeah? That that makes a little more sense. So then, yeah, yeah. But it's it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess say I hadn't seen the nuances of it, but I'd heard this idea that like a squad could effectively be like combat squadded across two transports, and yeah. then when they deployed, they recombined. Yeah. But if it if it's a from it's, deep strike yeah, deployment, that makes sense. It's not quite as janky as that, but it is. It's a bit weird. I don't know why they didn't just increase the transport capacity and be done with it. Well, well, why hey do the tech priests do anything they do? Well, quite. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be the bomber. That's uh, probably the most useful. It's got a bunch of like utility abilities with stratagems and stuff as well. So uh, that's cool. Uh, and I guess if we want to talk about stuff I've built, I've finished recently. I, I've completed the entirety of the Cursed City set. Uh, I'm pretty sure I spoke about that last time I was on. I, I think you just got it. on to painting the zombies, I want to yeah. say, last time. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but now I've completed the whole lot. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with it. Some of them, uh, towards the end, were a bit of a slog, if I'm honest. Um, a couple of the heroes didn't quite come out as good as I'd like but uh, part of, well I kind of subconsciously focused on the ones that we because we played a game of it and I focused on the ones that we played rather than the ones that we didn't play so uh, so I think those ones are better than the others I've heard that the bat swarms are actually a little bit of a pain to paint yeah, I, I kind of phoned it in on them a bit. That I basically <laughs> just dry brushed it and washed it. So. Fair enough. I mean, it's Whatever. a mass warm. Yeah, it doesn't yep. need much more than that, does it? Yeah. the um, I was quite pleased with the, the general um, kind of idea behind the paint job of them. The, the whole set. I basically... The whole thing was sprayed black. Then I dry brushed it uh, a light grey. And then I painted... The raised air, the raised areas that it picked out with the various colors, so everything had a like black shadow, um, like that it was highlighting up. So the right. entire set looks very dark and, and kind of uh, cartoony looking, but also ominous. Yes, so I think it works out really well. Uh, and then obviously yeah. it got a big dunk in null oil after that, so. It- <laughs> I, I can't remember who it was I saw on Instagram, but someone who was basically doing this obscure method where they sort of blocked out the colours, so just like flat colours for everything, yep. then absolutely drowned the models in like Agrax Earthshade, yep. like to the point where you can't even see the colours like underneath anymore. Yep, okay. Let's it dry. So the model then basically looks like it's just like a brown statue sort of thing. Right. And then washes it down with paint stripper. Wow. Like, you know, applying it like a wash sort of thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. So that it removes the majority of the earth shade because obviously it's the top layer. 
Yeah. But it's stained all the paint that was under it. Wow. So it <laughs> it basically adds this, you know, grungy, dark, sort of like filthy look to the model because it's it's more stained than washed, the base colours. Um, but it also still has the, these like really dark pools of, you know, um, depth where the earth shade is really settled in, you know, the deep recesses. Like, if you think, if whatever you're imagining how much, like, Agrax uh, earth shade is on this model, double it at least. Oof. Wow. <laughs> like, but it worked really well, and... I don't quite know what possessed this person to give it a try, but uh, it's going to annoy me now that I can't remember what account it was either, but it really was, um, it seemed like black magic to me. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a technique. Um, I'm yeah, into it. Maybe if anyone listening wants to give it a try, maybe don't try it on um, Curse City models if you've got some, but maybe on some basic zombies or something and just to begin with and uh, see how it goes. I'd be interested to know if anyone has any similar successful results with it. Maybe maybe I'll do that on Mortarian, eh? Oh, God. <laughs> God advise it. I will not be held responsible for a ruined Primark. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much... Oh, the other thing I've recently completed is a some more Admech, obviously. Uh I um I got some more Skitari because uh, I didn't have that many and now I do so good uh, good because they can now run up to squads of up to twenty so I've got enough that I can run a, a twenty squad of each uh, and have a few spares to swap in and out for different weapons and stuff. Well, you should have like you say plenty now. Yeah. Well. I say that. Some people have been talking about running sort of armies of 100, 120 oh odd Skitari. Yeah, uh, which combat, is. Just to combat the likes of the Silver Tide and yeah, the just probably soon to be Green Tides. The, 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 um, yeah, I don't know what you would call that. The Rusty Tide. Rusty Tide, sure. <laughs> but yeah, they're, um, they're, well, they're, they're, they're very strong in the Codex, I think it's fair to say. Cool. Um, and then myself, I have been painting on the complete opposite end of the scale to dark and muddy and rusty. Oh yeah. Because as I mentioned last episode, um, back then I was just starting and I have now just finished, um, this first batch of a Lamenters Space Marines, um, painting commission. So that has been a fun experience. It's just been a... A squad of Stone Guard veterans and a converted Primaris Smash Captain. Um, but yeah, learning how yeah. to paint Lamenters was uh, definitely a first. It's brave. I'll say that. Well, <laughs> um, I believe that the um, the guy that I'm doing the commission for, it sounds like he's already approached a couple of other um, possible candidates who've turned down the project because it was Lamenters. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you this, I would have. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it, and he's been, like, really positive about um, the, like, works in progress and the finished products, so he's yeah, really, like, really pleased with the outcome. 
yeah they look great seen them on instagram so yeah um, i have been posting them up there i've not yet put up the finished smash captain i think i'll be putting a picture of him up tomorrow Good stuff. um but yeah like it's fair to say that i can now paint very small checker patterns <laughs> and i've painted more love hearts on space marines or warhammer figures in general than i thought i ever would do <laughs> um but yeah like i'm quite pleased with him um i've got a good little technique i've been using for um the yellow armor um which is going to bug me now because i cannot remember off the top of my head which actual yellow it is i've been using but um it's one of the contrast ones i think it's i'm pretty sure the contrast paint is iandan yellow and i've been doing two um two layers mixed with Lamian medium okay o over corax white as a base yeah and then i've been edge highlighting with what is i believe uriel yellow um which is the layer paint right and that's all it takes so it's just like a it's a spray paint white as a base um so primed white and then just two passes with the contrast paint now like i say I, each pass is a 50 50 mix I, I think i've i feel like i've unlocked the techniques contrast paints recently yes contrast and is magical it, yeah like i feel like i've really got the hang of how i like to use contrast paints now because i'm really pleased with how i use darker flesh in particular for doing the skin tones yeah um i feel like i've I get a sense now of how most of them are going to paint over whatever base color I've picked and like how much it's going to show through the, the base versus how much gets covered by that particular paint. So like uh, Flesh Terror's Red and Black Templar don't show a lot of the base paint through. They're a lot thicker as a contrast yeah. paint. But then like this Iand and Yellow, it makes a huge difference what you put it over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've for these lamenters, I found Corax White was best. In fact, if anything, um, one thing I found that's actually been quite nice is uh, priming them white, but then doing a Xenophil, um prime um, using Wraithbone. Right. Because it's just that slightly different texture yeah. um, to the white, but it just comes through enough when you put the contrast over it. To still make it look like it's got that sort of xenophil lighting to it. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, you know, a prime, a xenophil, two passes with contrast paint, and then an edge highlight, which for yellow power armor is actually a pretty quick scheme. Yeah. Without having to do, you know, layer and layer and layer building up over a brown base or something. Yeah, that it traditionally it's been uh, a bit of a challenge. Hmm. And um, I know that when I first started using Flesh Terror Red on some Necromunda minis, one of the things that bothered me about it was it still had seemed to have a sort of shiny quality to it, a bit like the old inks. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. But I've found that one of the ways to like pull back on that is by mixing it with the Lamian Medium. That yeah. really helps put the matte back into the paint. Fair enough. Um, and um, the other little tip I've discovered recently is that 
if you have got a shiny surface do you want to dull down just paint pure lamian medium over it oh uh, yeah and that does it really well yeah works like a, a matte varnish yeah um so i'm probably going to revisit those decrement minis and find some of the shinier spots of paint and just give them <laughs> a lamian wash but yeah um so they've they've been great and i've now got the second batch of the uh commission to be working on so i now have the fun time of building and painting some lamenters inceptors so we'll see how they're doing in a couple of weeks time yep hopefully finished but we'll see <laughs> um <laughs> so uh tune in next time for tony complaining about flying stands uh i really hope not but this is the first time i've built anything using these somewhat cursed apparently yeah uh, flight stands from the new yep. generation so that's gonna be a fun time yeah but do you know what does have a really nice flight stand oh go my on bur my burner bomber hooray <laughs> because my burner bomber has a lovely cross pattern flight stand which works very nicely for it and i've been enjoying painting it <laughs> good so yes um it's now got all its um it's complete top layer of hot rod um black flames over the blue hole now uh and actually i've found my excuse of my place to put some blue flames on and it's going to be on the very tip of the nose cone so there's just going to be a few little flickering right. blue flames on there and i think that's going to be a nice accent color yeah um to solve just still tie it in as obviously a death skull aircraft um but with this this nice big black burning flame pattern all over it because it's a burner bomber because it's a burner bomber right so that's kind of everything we've been up to painting recently isn't it but do you know what we have also been able to do a little bit of recently? <gasps> Playing some, play some games. games. Yes. So I, I feel that maybe next episode we might have a more extended games played section for the first time in a long time. But we're going to bolt it on to the end of the Pin Station Garrison <laughs> for tonight. <laughs> um, I have managed to get in one... Um, game of 9th edition since lockdown has started to ease here in the UK and Dan I believe you have just been a hobby machine uh, I have played quite a lot after of games game after game <laughs> I, I am not taking it for granted and playing as many as I can before it all goes tits up again <laughs> so uh, do you want to quickly give us a couple of highlights from some uh, of the games you've played okay, recently so I've, I've played 5 or 6 games uh, since the lockdown easing um, of various sizes and various kind of types of uh, match play or open play or whatever but I had some very close games um, uh, a couple of highlights I played Orcs against um, Astra Militarum kind of air cavalry list with three Valkyries and two Vendettas and a bunch of Scions in them yeah, I did see uh, some posts of that. I can't remember if it was on your blog or if it was in the uh, Facebook group, one or the other. 
yeah, I think I showed it in various places. Both, to be honest. Yeah, both. Um, but probably. I remember seeing the deployment setup shot yeah. with just everything in these Valkyries. Yeah, it just looked really side. cool, right? It's just a cool-looking game. Um, it turned out to be a really fun game as well because they're so fast they get all over the place um, and they put out so much punishment that you like orcs are dying everywhere but at the same time when the guard boots are on the ground you know they are they're easy prey for orcs so uh, I was killing quite a lot of stuff back <laughs> uh, was it always it was... kind of a, uh, a punch and counter punch sort of scenario yeah it, it was um it the the main thing is there were you know it was it was an objective based game and flyers can't score objectives and most of the guard couldn't stick around on the ground for long enough so i was able to hold the objectives to uh, to get the win in the end which was nice uh i think a possible highlight was uh killer cans actually doing something <laughs> really <laughs> yeah I, I had a unit of killer cans charging into some bullgrins and kill them all which is is not something that happens very often <laughs> bullgrins dying or killer cans killing both <laughs> <laughs> to be honest yeah that's, I, w I was surprised when that happened um and then the other game was i was gonna briefly highlight is uh um Actually, last night I played a game, match play with the new Admech uh, against Custodes. Uh, and that was uh, a lot of fun and very close. Obviously, match play, so it's not you know super relevant to the, the podcast as such. But it's not irrelevant. But it's not completely irrelevant. Uh, and it was, a, it was a cracker of a game. Uh, the final score was 69 to... 64 in my favor so five Ooh, points in it game. in in ninth edition match play is really close uh and one of the things that happened at the end was uh, a custody failed a leadership test and ran off the board which <laughs> was not a common occurrence at all <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um i have also managed to play one game and mine was a crusade game Hey. Continuing Zagdreg's Iron War, he nice. once again faced off against the well-known for their vehicles and mechanical warfare, Tyranids. <laughs> <laughs> so he had some... Uh, Zagdreg himself did not have a good time, but it did not go well for him. Oh no. <laughs> uh, which was kind of a precursor for the game as a whole, to be honest, but it was a lot of fun. Um... So we actually played using one of the Plague Purge missions, and cool. we played at the incursion um, scale game, so we're just sort of a basic like 1,000 point forces. Yeah. Um, I think it's about the equivalent of 1,100, something like that. Sure. Um, and we rolled up the mission where it's basically sort of like urban fighting, bombed out, um, you know, cityscape, but each deployment zone has one fortified building. Okay. Um, which you can apply a additional keyword of your choice to. Oh. In addition to its normal, um, like, ruin keywords. Right. Um, and you could, if you wanted, choose to simply improve its light cover rule to provide a plus two to saving rules. Nice. 
um, which is actually what I opted to go for on mine, um, whereas um, my opponent opted for dense on his for a minus one to hit refuting. Yeah. Um, which is fine by me because he basically had a big unit of 30 Devourer Gaunts in there. <laughs> yeah. um, which, if I was going to fire anything at, it just meant I was going to be proccing Daka Daka in order to yeah. make sure that I was hitting on fives and getting as many bullets into them as possible. Fair enough. Um, but my logic was that I actually had a. Um, I had a unit of 17 Orc Boys being 17 so that they can if they want fit in a battle wagon with space for the mega round war boss and yep but yeah. miscellaneous character yeah but this unit of 17 orc boys would hunker down in this building they'd be getting plus two to their save um when being shot at in the cover meaning they'd actually be on a four up save crazy there was a vehicle in this case a boomdack snaz wagon parked nearby so that when it exploded i could loot it Nice. For a further plus one save <laughs> onto these orcs. Um, and because we were using Plague Purge, we also had access to either the Assault or Recon stratagems, and this particular mission was the Assault ones. Um, which meant for one CP, when a unit was fired at, I could make them minus one to be hit, so long as they themselves were then only at um, they had to half their movement in their following turn, because they were going to ground. Yeah, which is not a problem if you're staying in a building yes because obviously this was a four objective mission but two of them are in the two respective fortified buildings and oh. they're the most important ones to be trying to hold yeah so just sit there and don't die yeah so 17 orc boys who are planning in theory to get themselves to a free plus save a minus one to be shot <laughs> and if you don't wipe them out to a man in a turn I'm going to try and green tide them back on <laughs> Because they'd walk on my table edge and just reoccupy the building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there's some more. Um, now, that all sounds good in practice. Uh, oh, no. But unfortunately, it didn't quite go to plan because as other things started to um, fall apart and get slaughtered across the field... It meant that the unit in the building had to sally forth to try and hold objectives in the middle of the board. Ah. And by the time their inevitable demise came around, I didn't have enough CP to green tide them, even if they hadn't been wiped out to a man. Yeah, it is a it's a CP hungry one, isn't it? It is. Um, and I, it, it went so badly for Zadreg himself. Oh no! So you know. Currently, he's being played as a you know a mega armored big mech with the cleverest boss upgrade, which means yeah. you know he's in mega armor, he's got six wounds, and he has a six up in bunk because he's a death skull. Like yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the only thing that happened to him all game was that he took six mortal wounds and died. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, my Boomdacker Snazwagon um, exploded when a Hive Tyrant, uh, wow. a Flying Tyrant, jumped on it. Um, <laughs> it exploded. It explodes D6 inches for D3 mo uh, mortal wounds. Zagdrig was six inches away, got caught in the explosion, and had three mortal wounds done to him. Wow. Which was then promptly followed in the... Um, <laughs> In the Nids 
next turn with a uh, smite from the hive tyrant. Yep. Which uh, became a, uh, I think it became a super smite and did three wounds. Perfect. That character brings out, but basically it killed him spot on. It was a G like. So my 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 ground war boss never even got oh, to make yep. a save. <laughs> Just straight up. Great. Three mortals from this thing exploding and three mortals from this smite and he's dead. Yep. Oh, that sad face. And <laughs> yeah, like I, it was a fun game. It was uh, because I I loved throwing. Yeah, you know, my old boys at stuff and cleaving my way through gaunts and just firing dacker away into things in buildings. I kept um, skirting around out of line of sight of this uh, Tyrannifix, so he was never really getting to open up his rupture cannon. But um, this Hive Tyrant took a heavy toll before eventually one of my orc boys in strategic reserve came on in their truck and they. Uh, <laughs> They decided to perform ramming speed on the Hive Tyrant, and they did inflict three mortal wounds on it with their truck. Perfect. Um, previous to that, my battle wagon had opened up with Zabzak, and it dealt, like, I think, three mortal wounds, because I rolled a nine plus on one of the volleys, yeah. so just bang three mortal wounds at that Hive Tyrant. So again, it itself also got mortal to death, pretty much, until this <laughs> um, the Orc knob leading the unit dragged it down. After using a fight twice stratagem to be able to hack at it with his big chopper. Nice. But he got it. He got it there in the end. Uh, and basically, yeah, this Hive Tyrant was just the thing that was proving difficult and taking up too many of my resources. And by the time I dealt with it, his um, his Exocrine and his Tyrannifix um, and a Nurmthrope had eventually managed to basic. Oh, and Hiveguard. Uh, Goddamn hive Hiveguard were just a pain for my trucks. Yes, they would be. Yeah, like, I get it. I don't understand why, but they were just, I couldn't do anything about it in this particular game. Yeah. So I might need to uh, revisit my order of battle to come up with a solution to neutralize um, indirect firing units. Do you know what would be quite good for hunting them down? Go on. Burner Bomber. Burner Bomber. <laughs> yes, it would. Uh, I'm actually kind of thinking that um, maybe in my next game... I might use the requisition from that, and if I drop the Boomdecker Snazwagon from my order of battle, I'd have enough power level to bring in the Burner Bomber. I mean, it did explode, so... <laughs> well, it did. It did explode, and it, um, it was reduced to zero XP because it suffered... Yeah, um, I mean... A... Because it exploded. <laughs> Pretty much. That, that vehicle literally exploded... The guy's dead. Like, what more do you want? Well, it was it was kind of funny how my take XP, him off. Yeah, like my XP game was both really good and really bad as a result because I had my uh, my gun wagon um, suffered uh, and it failed his out of action roll, and it suffered. I took the loss of XP because I didn't want to take a battle scout on it, so it dropped from its six XP down to two. The Boomdacker Snazwagon dropped from its two to zero. Um, and I had to have my big unit of 17 Orc boys. Um, they couldn't claim what would have been their minimum 2xp for the game because of what they did. And they actually lost 2xp, so they dropped Oof. from five to three. 
That's pretty rough. Because they're, yeah, they're in a funny position where they haven't actually leveled up, but they earned the battle trait as a game reward, like as a victory reward. Right. So they have got plus one to advance and charge, but they haven't actually leveled up yet. <laughs> so I mean, to me, that sounds like they basically just lucked into it. Like pretty they, much. these, it's just a group of uh, a load of orcs that they're not really experienced. They just every time they're on a battle, they just happen to accidentally find a shortcut or like. Well, kind of speaking or about trip over into in the things. right direction at the enemy. Yeah, so like about looking into things was the fact that my secondaries or my agendas even played out really well because so we had two agendas each and I'd taken Reaper, so whichever unit had the yep. highest kill tally gets two XP. Yeah, cool. standard. Um, and I also took Calculated Eradication, which is one from the Plague Purge thing. Okay, that didn't sound very orky. No, but it's like basically it's the uh, kill units that are on objectives, right? Um, and you score two XP for every time you do this. You know, like for, for each mark on your tally, and then the unit that has the highest tally gets an additional two. Nice. Um, and how it ended up working out was the only three units I killed, like to eradicate them. Was it the unit of Hormagaunts, the smaller unit of Termagaunts, and the Hive Tyrant? Yeah. But all three of them, when I killed them, they were on objectives. Ah, efficiency. Um, yeah. And every time I killed one of them, it was with a different one of my three mobs of Orc boys that did it. Right. So you spread meant... the. Spread yeah, the because it's so in the end. <laughs> Each of them gained 2xp for the fact that they'd killed a unit on an objective. Except the unit that failed is out of action and I opted to not gain experience for the game and lose d6 instead of mm -hmm. taking the battle scar. Fine. So they're out of contention, whatever. But my other two units, they both gained 2xp from killing something on an objective. They both had the highest kill tally in the army, so I could pick which one was going to get the reaper bonus. Yep. And they were both tied for which had the highest calculated eradication tally, so I could pick which one got the bonus two XP from that. <laughs> so they both picked up four XP well, five. Or I could have or I could have gone right, yeah. one of them pick up six. Yeah. And if I really wanted, could have given that unit the mark for greatness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they could have picked up nine XP in this one game. Well ten if you include the fact that you get one to be playing in the game. Yeah. I could have uh I could I could have been big. I mean, I did, I did spread it so that each unit ended up picking up um, four XP each, and making it five for um, playing in the game. And because they played in the game previous as well, that meant that they were both going to tick to six XP and level up regardless, yeah. because they already had one XP. Nice. Um, and then I did end up giving one of those units marked greatness because I gave it to the unit that killed the Hive Tyrant. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, of everything else that went very badly, it felt yeah. like the one thing that was uh, notable that was a success. So they earned the marked greatness as a result. But they're the ones that came back to the uh, back to the tribe holding the head of a Hive Tyrant. So how much more marked for greatness can you get? <laughs> So yeah, it was, um, and then it, I, I rolled randomly for um, upgrades, and I think, I can't remember which round it was, but one unit got, um, they can shoot while um, performing an action. Oh yeah. And they <laughs> autom 
they automatically pass combat attrition tests. No, I think I think it's something like they they don't suffer modifiers to combat attrition while holding an objective. But basically, something like that. Yeah, they're really good at holding objectives now. Yeah. Um, and the other one uh, got veteran warriors, I think, so they get to reroll ones when they make attacks. That's quite handy. It is when you've got huge choppers and tank buster yeah. bombs. Yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a good uh, first game of 2021, even if the outcome wasn't great. I mean, in the end, I was kind of storming away with victory points at the beginning, but it ended up being a um, it was I had 50. It was 25 to 30 victory points in the end. Fair enough. So but, uh, fairly fairly close. But to be fair. 10 point difference of that was the fact that Miami was painted and his wasn't. <laughs> oh. Hmm. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, because basically um, what it was was that like in the first three turns, I gained 10 victory points per turn, he gained 5. And then in the last turn, he gained 15 and I gained none. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Um, oh, and I guess uh, the, the one last sort of thing to mention was that we played with um, one of the Flashpoint battle zones and we used the um virus um ordinance one where there's like a bunch of unexploded ordinance in no man's land oh yeah which was quite fun because um i was expecting that when these various bomb markers went off they were going to deal out mortal wounds and actually that wasn't the case they basically introduced um negative buffing auras that would then persistent for the rest of the game once that particular warhead had detonated Interesting. So there was one that was like minus one to shoot out of and be shot at. One that caused anyone any unit firing out of it um, to basically have get hot on its weapons. One of them that messed with psychers and they did have some effects on the game. And they were not negligible, but also they they weren't game warping. Okay, so about right then. So about right, yeah. And it, it felt like we were fighting over this. Um, bombed out city where the Death Guard had been <laughs> launching ordnance yeah. at these orcs and tyrannids. So yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. Sounds good. So um, now we're all caught up on what you and me have been up to. <laughs> yep. Um, I think it's about time that we move on to what the Tech Priests of Mars have been up to in the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus on Crusade. You kids listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of yous without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides, tell the paint boy over at Narrative Wah Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Right, get out of here. Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com 
to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Right you kids, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the penguin. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get something extra special. And we're back, guys. Hello. Or should I say, beep boop. <laughs> beep boop to you too. Yes. Uh, I mean, not two. I mean, to you, zero one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been uh, looking forward to getting this book, and now I've got it, and it's good. Yeah, um, you and many others, by the sounds yes. of it. It sounds like this has been a popular um, segment in waiting. Yeah. Um Obviously, there's been a lot of talk on the internet elsewhere about Admech, the the sort of match play rules. So I, I guess we won't really talk about that so much, um, other than if it's ever. relevant with, uh, <laughs> yeah, other than when it's relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, suffice I to say, uh, I, it's it's good. Yeah, I've heard various mixed reviews so far in terms of are they good or are they too good. <laughs> Yeah. Um there's apparently it is a very deep and complicated codex with yes. a lot of things going on. And it there's sounds a lot like on. it sounds like the crusade rules are no different. <laughs> this is pretty correct, yep. Um Yeah, whether or not it's uh, overpowered, who knows? But in Crusade at least it, it looks like it's quite fun. Um uh, uh, with a lot of uh, amusing flavour going around. Which is what we love to see, because it sounds like, um, I don't know whether or not GW were tracking your crusade when you started it last uh, week, but it seems like they've taken your personal goals and just turned them into the crusade mechanics. I mean, I can't claim it was particularly um, original to be hunting Archaeotech as as a uh, an Admet crusade. But I think it's fair to say it's definitely on point and on theme and apparently that's exactly how games workshop feels as well yes. so you you mentioned archaeotech treasures i assume this is the faction specific crusade mechanic yes uh let's jump straight in with that then so we have the the archaeotech treasures as you say you have to collect um these uh, various archaeotech parts uh, and then put them together to make archaeotech items uh, or archaeotech treasures indeed uh, which you can then use in your Crusade games uh, as kind of like a little, like a relic, uh, but not, um, which we'll we'll discuss shortly. Yeah. So is it? It's kind of like a build your own relic system. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that. So first of all, uh, the the parts you collect. Um, you collect either by a requisition that I think was showed on the Warhammer community uh, yeah, previews um, a while back. 
Uh, our um, first ever five requisition point yeah. of requisition potentially. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is basically just a a way of shortcutting parts of this system, yep. but at a very steep cost. Yes, uh, you can also find them with uh, a couple of agendas, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, which is uh, again a, sort of like a common premise across these armies, isn't it? That whatever it is they uniquely do as a race, you can often achieve the objectives. And resources for it by completing their unique agendas yeah absolutely it's uh fits the the um fits the the kind of blah. <laughs> the blueprint construct template <laughs> yes that's that's more appropriate <laughs> than blueprint um the 40k version so tell us then what parts go into making okay. these archaeotech pieces so there are four different types of parts each of which is a table of six components. Um, right. So there are Archaeotech uh, power sources, um, weapon parts, force field parts, and techno arcana parts. <laughs> Miscellaneous do crazy yeah. things. Um, so when you generate one, uh, you roll a d6. Uh, a one to three is a power source, and then four, five, six are the other three in that order. Okay. Yeah. And then you roll on the appropriate table to see which of the sorts it is. Cool. Uh, so uh, there's there's a lot of different parts available, uh, and then you can assemble them uh, using a requisition. Uh, you need to assemble one power source and one of any other part to make an architect treasure. Right. Yep. Um. And the the way it works is the power source has three different abilities depending on what it's a, what it's applied to, uh, and that's what you get. Uh, and then the weapon has a weapon um, like profile, like a like a, a shooting attack that is a a one use shooting attack with that profile, with also the special rule for the power source. And then the force field is a permanent effect on the character. This generally is stuff like invulnerable saves or uh, or plus one toughness or something like that. As befitting a force field. And the techno arcana parts are a effectively a one use special ability, similar to like a strategy or something. I think there's one that that makes a unit fight last or that kind of thing. Um, and the the arcana part tells you what uh, what canticle of the Omnisire you have to be in for that part to work. <laughs> so so it only works in one of the one of the five turns of the game so you, you've got there or never to use it basically well for that, quite for that possibly particular game yeah i mean the thing is with the canticles as we'll we'll briefly talk about it's similar to how it used to be you pick one for your all your cult mechanicus things to be uh to be in um so you can pick the one you need in the game yeah and i'm guessing it, be... it's appropriate yeah, and I'm guessing there'll be a, a couple of ways of manipulating it. Uh, I think there are. There, um, it's it's a bit more difficult than it used to be. Uh, there used to be a stratagem to just make a command, make um, a canticle apply again, uh, which there isn't anymore. Uh, but there's ways of putting like a unit into a different canticle and stuff like that. So you say then you have to acquire um, a power source and yep. then. Uh, an other part, yes, and you then spend a requisition to basically combine the power source yes. into the 
the doodad in order yes. for it to you know, do the dad. Um, and whatever it does is an ability that's generated from the table for the weapon yes. or the force field or whatever, with then a bonus from the kind of power source that's powering Effectively, it. yes. Okay, so um, should we generate a couple of examples? Uh, I think we should. A, a um, good sense of this. Before we do, I'll just briefly uh, uh, explain what you can do with them. Uh, you have to put them on one of your tech priests. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly, you can, as far as I can tell, you can freely swap them between your priests or leave them off. Like uh, you basically just have a pool of these. And at the start of each battle, you can assign them to your tech priests. Uh, and each tech priest theoretically can have one force field, one weapon, and one techno arcana. So mm. if you have a very long running crusade, you can have a big stockpile of them and apply whichever one you want. And that's in addition to any, you know, uh, crusade relics or more yep. traits or yeah. other things that could be stacked up on these characters. So you could, at the end of a long crusade campaign, end up with a, you know, like a tech dominus who's yep. got like two or three warlord traits, yeah. um, like a one or two like racial relic. No, you can have one racial relic from your codex, can you? And then in addition, yep. any number of crusade relics. Yep. And then he could also have like three different pieces of archaeotech, a mm -hmm. weapon, a force field, and a, a gizmo. Yep. Uh, not to mention the uh, holy orders uh, upgrades as well, <laughs> which are like the equivalent of the chapter command thing. Uh, oh, okay. So that's pay a bit points like... for an extra buff. Yeah, so that's a bit like the um, the space marine honorifics. Yes, exactly. It? Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's the thing that was previewed that has the two stage effect. Where you have a, mm -hmm. an effect initially, and then you have to do an action to act, to change it to the other effect. Yeah, um, the uh, yeah the the binary or boolean conditions. Yes, exactly. Uh, so anyway, yeah, shall we uh, shall we roll up a, a few items for a laugh? Yeah, go on and let's see what the dark age of technology um, has cool. been keeping from us till now. Uh, would you like to roll a dice, or shall I? Uh, give me one second. In fact, is it just d six? Yes. So, would you like to roll for us a power source? We got a two. Two. Uh, two is the spatial alternator. Ooh. Okay, uh, so we've got a special alternating... So, it's then... a, based upon grab field manipulation, this technology condenses or disperses molecular alignment. Uh, shall we do a weapon? Yes. Would you like to roll me a d6 for the weapon part? It is a three. A three is the nano shard projector. Uh, so we have a spatial alternator nano shard projector. Uh, Ooh, so alternate your space. Yep. I include some shards. So the way this works is it's a um, it's a pistol three, twelve inch range weapon. That's strength five minus two two damage. Uh, you can only good. use it. You can only use it once per battle, uh, but. Uh, an un unmodified hit roll of a six scores one additional hit. So that's okay. nice. That's nice, yeah. Uh, that's, and then the effect of the spatial alternator is each time a model with uh, a model in an enemy unit, excluding vehicle units, loses one or more moon wounds as a result of an attack made by this weapon, roll a d6 on a four plus until the start of your next command phase. That unit is condensed. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds delightful. While a unit is condensed, it loses the objective secured ability. <laughs> so you shoot away their objective secured with your nano shard projector. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. So you, I mean, that's a really good weapon for blowing out some intercessors. But in addition, yep. if you do, they've got a, what a fifty percent chance of yep. um, not not having obsec anymore. Yes, of being condensed. <laughs> Okay, so because I'm curious then, um, let's generate yep. a force field and a gizmo using this same power source. Sure thing. Obviously, so right now you're saying that the um, alternator power source is what's causing yep. the lose obsec. Yes. Right. Which obviously is not going to apply to a force field. No, or it has a completely different effect to the other two. Okay, that's cool. Uh, so, so, so we'll stick about alternating power source. Yep, roll us up a force field then. Uh, force field is a two. Two uh, is the uh, arc implants. Sure. So spatial alternator arc implants. Uh, the spatial alternator ability gives, uh, in this instance, gives plus one to the bearer's wound characteristic. That's nice. Cool. And the arc implants at the start of the fight phase select one enemy unit within engagement range of the bearer and roll one d6. On a two to five, the enemy suffers one mortal wound. On a six, it suffers d3 mortal wounds. <laughs> so this is basically a tech priest of a bunch of like um, Tesla coils implanted yes, in his back. Exactly. That are actually just using uh, alternating current. <laughs> As the yeah. power source. <laughs> Pretty much. Cool. It's powered by some AC batteries. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, so then let's see what our alternator does for us as a... Yep. What's it called? An Archeogizmo? Te techno Arcana part. That's exactly what I said. Yes. Exactly. Word for word. Well, we've got a number four in our figgy bob Number four is the Hagioscope. Ooh, uh, which, which means it um it applies in the benediction of the Omnisire Canticle, which is right. the one that gives you reroll one hit wound and damage roll for every unit. Causes artisans. So it's this is the uh, yeah. So this is the shooting one basically, uh, which I guess makes sense. It sounds like some kind of rangefindery scopey thing. It's um, a telescope. Yep, That's what it is. and the. <laughs> The effect for being a spatial spatial alternator is that the bearer gains the following ability: spatial adjustment aura. While a friendly Forge World cult Mechanicus unit is within six inches of this model, if the Techno Arcana is active, so in in that canticle, uh, each time a ranged attack with an armor penetration characteristic of minus one is allocated to a model. In that unit, while he's receiving the benefits of light cover from a terrain feature, that attack has an armor penetration characteristic of zero instead. Right. So the mouthful. But it, yeah. It seems like that is the case of everything, isn't it? It's like yes. I say, it's, that is a lot of layers of conditions and effects to basically end up with. Um, Ignore AP1. <laughs> if you're in cover. If you're in cover. And Which you're a, believe... a cult mechanicus forge world unit. <laughs> In that particular benediction. Yep. Next within, to this guy. Within range of this guy's aura. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> and if if all the stars align, then in that case, you well done. Yep. You're now an Imperial Fist. Yeah. <laughs> Slash Iron Warrior. So as you can see, there's quite a lot of uh, stuff going on here. Yeah. So um, just very quickly, then, because I'm curious to see some other examples. Because, like you say, this is what four tables of six results. Uh, yes. And effectively, one of those tables, each result has three different conditional effects. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like there's there's a lot, six a lot of combinations. Almost. Yeah. So um, because I, I think this is hilarious, let's generate. Um, one more random set for each with a different power source. So we're going to uh, have go for power it. source number four. Number four uh, is the acidic conductor. And through arcane to... distillation, this technology can eat through metal, dissipate thick smog, and even cause genetic scarification. So it's battery acid. Cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it is going to be powering a number four weapon. The number four weapon, that is the Arc Annulus, which is a 18-inch range pistol two weapon, strength seven, minus two, two damage. Uh, <laughs> so it's an auto cannon. <laughs> if you if you fire at a vehicle, it's a damage characteristic of three and <laughs> auto wounds on a four up. So wound. it's a predator auto cannon. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty good against vehicles. Um, and because it is... Uh, powered by the acidic conductor uh, each time an attack is made with this weapon an unmodified wound roll of a 6 inflicts d3 mortal wounds on the target in addition to any normal damage <laughs> so it, it's an arc lightning predator autocannon yes <laughs> and this is just a, a gadget weapon that a tech priest yep. has grafted to yep. him <laughs> yeah again it's a one use only gun per battle uh, yeah. but um, sure. Field. Uh, well, we're going to have a different power source. Go we're for going it. To have a number three power source. Number three is the teleportation matrix. This device enables energy and matter to translocate instantaneously. Right. So now we are force fielding with portals. Cool. Apparently so. And we have force fielding number two. Did we already have that? Uh, the arc implants. Yes. Yeah, just change that. Give me anything but a two. That's a three. Three is the time sink. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're using portals and time sinks. So we just build yes, a teleportation here. matrix time sink. Uh, at the start of the fight phase, select one enemy model within engagement range of the bearer. Roll one d six and add the bearer's leadership characteristic to the result. Your opponent rolls one d six and adds that enemy model's leadership characteristic to the result. If your total is greater than your opponent's until the end of the phase, that enemy model's unit is not eligible to fight until all eligible units from your army have done so. So it's a fight last ability with a leadership reroll, or reel off, uh, leadership roll off. Sorry, mind wall fight last. Yep. And because it's a teleportation matrix, uh, the bearer is eligible to perform a heroic intervention if it is within six inches horizontally and five inches vertically of any enemy unit. Each time the bearer makes a heroic intervention move, it can move up to six instead of three. That's cool. Yeah, so, so like, you're going to fight last, and now I'm going to zip over to you to yep. hit you with my axe. Yep. Yeah, that's that's cool. That honestly feels like a, it's almost yeah jumping in the webway sort of thing very quickly. You know, in and out. 
Yep. Is it, it, he's Nightcrawler. That's what it is. <laughs> he's literally so, jumping through another dimension very briefly. Yeah. I could imagine that in particular would be very frustrating to play against. If you were your yes. tech priest teleports in and then makes you fight last. That's good. That's a cool one. I like that. Yep. Um, and then let's have one more. So we've go got on then. Power source number five. Uh, the endothermic reactor. This crystal lattice produces freezing temperatures. Its power bleeding the energy and momentum from those it touches. All right, so cold fusion this time. Yep. And it is going to be powering a number six, uh, what should we call it? Number six is, six is the hyper circuit. Uh, so we have an endothermic reactor hyper circuit. This is apl- applicable when the litany of the electromancer canticle is active, uh, which incidentally is now much better than it used to be. Uh, it was um, it was the one that did a mortal wound on a six to nearby units. And was never happened, uh, but now it gives you minus one to be hit in melee with all your cult mechanicalist units, which is pretty cool. Okay, so uh, you're so, gonna be a minus one to be hit in melee when this yep. triggers, uh, and because it's the endothermic reactor, the bearer gains the following ability: dispersed cryo sweep aura. <laughs> right. While a friendly Forge World Cult Mechanicus unit is within six inches of this model at the start of the fight phase, if this Techno Arcana is active and that unit is within engagement range of any enemy units, it can fight first that phase. Because <laughs> it's slowing everyone else around yeah. them down. Yeah. yeah. So this sounds like it's a pocket. This is a pocket particle accelerator, yeah. pretty much. That's Why not? Dis- that's distorting the flow of time. Yeah, <laughs> standard. You know, so as you can see, things you, fit, you, <laughs> you spend your lifetime pursuing and finding the parts for. Yep. So as you can see, it's a bit mad. Yeah, just but a there's some, bit. some very strong effects in there. Uh, so and, I, I think that's very like that's just very cool that these things are all kind of like one use per battle, but to say that you've got these tools that are going to be so unique and so different especially across all the different crusade forces that people will be playing yeah you could come across um you could play an adbeck player who's got one of these archaeotech relics and it's going to be completely different every time you encounter it yeah it's definitely one of those things that you'll play against an adbeck player with this and and you'll be like what what what's that i don't eh? what (laughs) That's that's cool. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny how it is a matter of build your own relic, and I, I love it. It's yep. so on point for the Mechanicum, and I mean, I think every faction on Crusade we've covered so far just feels so in tune with like the background and the law and the motivations of that faction. And yeah, definitely. This one, I think it's. <laughs> It's a very obvious concept, but I think it's been executed on a really well-developed level. I think yeah. it would have been really easy to basically just say, like, oh, yeah, their mechanic is that they've got 10 Crusade Relics to pick from. And, yeah. you know, they've got, like, you know, they're, they're cheaper to acquire or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like this, that... is, this is definitely not that. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, I absolutely love this. 
the idea of it and and all the silly things you can roll and all that. Um, but it is going to be quite hard to acquire them. You're going to have to play quite a lot of games to get a decent amount of this stuff. Yeah, uh, as, so... as we'll find out when we talk about the agendas shortly. Um, yeah, if so if those... I have a complaint about it, it's that uh, it will be it will not be used to the full effect very often. Yeah, it is going to be a high point of your crusade when you actually have assembled one of these. It's you know it, it's going to yeah. be work to get there, and I mean this is the, the reward. Theoretically, you can have one every two games. Um, In theory, I guess if but you get a part each time, but it's going to be a bit more difficult than that to 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 rack them up like that, uh, um, as we'll see shortly. Yeah, so I mean, I assume that if you assemble one of these, does it? Add to your crusade points of your force. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, I think it probably I, does. Yeah, because I know you said that it sort of sits in kind of like um, almost like a, a pool of um, these treasures that you can then hand out per on a game per game basis. But I'm guessing as as your order of battle, it probably adds a crusade point. I would assume for ha- yes. at least one per Accio relic yep. that you've got. Ah, ooh, mm, okay. Sorry, I was incorrect. So you you can't freely swap them around. Uh, you have to give them to a tech priest, but they can have one of each item. Um, uh, okay, so it so it is that when you get it, you assign it to a, yep, uh, an individual, yeah. and it becomes theirs. Yeah, but... I misread that. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's fine. So you assign. You create the architect treasure, you give yep. it to a particular tech priest, and presumably it increases his crusade value yes. by one. Yes. Yeah. That's cool then. Yeah. Um, so then the other thing that you mentioned was that obviously whenever you get one of these parts, there's a 50% chance it's a power source. Yes. So there is a table, a D6 table, uh, to determine what type of part it is. One to three so, is power source, four is weapon, five is force field, and six is techno arcana. Is so there you, any way to manipulate that or the kind of parts you find? Uh, because Yes and no. Okay, because otherwise it feels like you've got a good chance of just building up more power source parts yes. you have than the components to actually use them with. You could end up with lots of useless components. Um, you could, yeah, you could, in theory, get, you know, any number of power sources before you actually get a weapon force field or a counterpart to combine them with. Yes. Uh, this will there... become slightly more obvious when we talk about the agendas and requisitions. Go on then, let's move on to that then. So we've talked so... about these parts are the rewards that you use to build these treasures. Yes. How do you actually earn these parts? So let's talk agendas. There are four special agendas. Um, as I think is common to the new codexes, when you pick an agenda, you can pick one from this book. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's like secondaries that you can have yep. one per category. So all of these fall under the racial category for Admech. Yeah, they're all Adeptus Mechanicus agendas. Yeah. So it's effectively one category, uh, which, yeah. So there's two that you can potentially earn Archaeotech parts from, and two that you can't. Uh, the, okay. the first two are Tech Scavengers. 
and break the seals. So tech scavengers uh, effectively gives you experience. Uh, well, you get three experience points for an admech unit that destroys uh, the your opponent's highest power rating vehicle. Yep. So initially, first up, you can only do it if your opponent has vehicles, uh, sure. and then yeah, you have to destroy it. Probably will. Yeah. Uh, and highest power rating could well be a backfield artillery piece, so it might be quite tricky to do that. Or it could be so, a Gorkonaut trying to yes. stomp all over you right in your face. So this is, right off the bat, it's definitely one, it's a situational one. Yeah. You, you pick you it if, if you, you think you could kill, do it. Yeah. Do you think you can kill the highest yep. power level vehicle? So that, first of all, there's three experience points on offer for doing that. Uh, and then as soon as it's destroyed, you can place... You, you place a marker on the battlefield where it was destroyed, um, and that effectively becomes an objective for you. Uh, that's neat. And if you get one of your infantry models, or infantry units rather, onto that objective, you can do the tech scavenge action at the end of a movement phase. Uh, do a regular action if you're within three, three inches of the marker. Um it's completed at the start of your next command phase. So you've got to stay there the whole turn, which is quite tricky if you've you know killed it in the middle of the enemy lines or whatever. Uh, if the action is completed, you remove the marker from the battlefield and acquire one Archaeotech part. Okay, so you're literally scavenging the best bits yep. of tech from the enemy force. Yep, so you just... Their best vehicle, you'll have that. So that's that's tech scavengers. So I feel like it's quite situational, but pretty much every time there's a, your opponent has a vehicle that you can do it on that they're going to be throwing forward, you're going to pick yeah. it because you want those tech parts. Do you feel you can destroy that vehicle and then hold this yeah. theoretical objective that is going to drop? Yeah. So, so that one's quite tricky, let's say. Okay. So the other one that gets you an architect part is break the seals. Uh, if you select this agenda uh, after both sides have finished deploying, you randomly select one objective marker on the battlefield uh, that isn't in your deployment zone. Okay. So it could be one in your opponent's deployment zone, or it could be one in the middle of the battlefield. Whatever. One yes. random objective. Uh, and then you can attempt the search the vault action with one of your characters. Uh, and similarly, it's an action you start... Um, uh, well, you got to within three inches of it, start it at the end of your movement phase. This one is completed at the end of the turn, so you don't have to be there the entire enemy turn as well. When the action is completed, you gain one experience point, and you roll a d6. On a five plus, you acquire one Archaeotech weapon part. Okay... And you get an additional experience point, and you can't do this action anymore. Okay. So theoretically, you can keep doing the action to get lots of experience points throughout the game, and never roll that five up and never get the oh, part. Right? Yeah, I was going to say. So what happens if you don't roll a five up? But I was expecting you to say you just get a part, but not a weapon. Nope. You get so, nothing, but you keep doing the action until you yep. get a, a part, and it will always be a weapon part. So this one is is more reliable to get a, a part because 
there is always going to be objective markers. I think. Well, typically, most missions. I mean, yeah. you you'll know if there's objective markers. Yeah. Uh, most missions will have them, but you have to roll a five up, and you have to do that action, and the objective marker could be in your opponent's deployment zone. So again, it's quite tricky. Uh, and added to that, it's specifically a weapon part, which is a little bit weird. Um, I'm I'm not even a hundred percent sure that's that's not a typo because the other one is just a part that you roll for, and and that one isn't. So I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll see if there's an FAQ in it. But in any case, that will get you an architect part of some description. So that's the two that you can get parts from. And then there's two more that I kind of think you're probably not going to pick because they don't get you Archaeotech parts. Um, there is Omnisire's Will and Cold Logic. Uh, and both of these apply to... Uh, or they're basically, they both spread experience points around your army. Um to either the Cult Mechanicus side with Omnicide's Will or the Skitari side with Cold Logic. Uh, and they link into the the Canticles of the Omnicide and the uh, Doctrina Imperatives, respectively. In, in what way is it like so, doing things while certain things acting? Yes. So for the Omnicide's Will... Um, you select one of your at the start of the battle you pick one of your canticles uh, and in the turn that canticle is active you get uh, an experience point for each tech priest uh, gains one experience point if three or more enemy units are destroyed in that turn <laughs> uh, and also each cult mechanicus unit from your army that destroyed an enemy unit while that canticle was in effect if you kill three enemy units that turn gets an experience point that's so, interesting. So actually, that's quite a widespread of XP. Exactly. I mean, it's all or nothing because you have to destroy three things yep. in that particular turn. turn. Yeah. Um, Though, do remember that you get to pick them at the start of the, the turn. It's not like the Necron ones where you have to pick yeah. them in advance. Yes, so, it's not a pre-guessing uh, pre game. It is a you pick yeah. what, when you want to go into it. So you will probably know when you've got that big turn coming up and then you'll play it and you can do it. Uh, See, I, I think those are actually really interesting. I know you say you yeah. probably won't pick them very often because you're hunting parts. Fair enough. So having something like this where when you know that you, you've got some units from your order of battle that all of them only need, say, 2 XP, 2 to 3 XP yeah. to gain a level up and get that new trait, they're going to get one from playing in the game anyway. So they only need to earn one or two points each and they'll level up. So if your tech priest is going to get that one because the units under his command killed some stuff and then those units themselves are going to get things for killing stuff. Yep. There might be certain games where you're just at a tipping point with a number of units. I, I, I mean, quite good to reap the rewards. I'm definitely not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that I personally <laughs> would not pick it. <laughs> because you don't get to have the fun crazy Because, because I, want, I want the architect parts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting and good that there is a choice there to forego the system if you choose. If I suppose you don't so, yeah. want to 
be dragged down with trying to add this additional layer of bookkeeping in acquiring your library of parts yeah. for your various weapons and you just want to play with some agendas to earn XP, you can do. Yep. Although I still completely agree with you that I think going for the crazy mad scientist gear from you know the Dark Ages is probably going to be the more entertaining route. Yeah, I want that crazy stuff. Um, so I, I guess we'll quickly go through Cold Logic, the, the fourth one that applies yeah. to your Skitari units. Uh, effectively, this is you keep a tally throughout the battle for each of your units when they do a thing, and there's a list of things. Uh, and at the end, the three units with the highest tally get one experience point. So again, it's spread out some experience around yeah, your Yeah, because you are getting three XP, but it's across three units. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's linked to the Doctrina Imperators, which are kind of like the canticles, but for Skitari rather than Cult Mechanicus. Uh, so you add one to the tally each time an enemy unit is destroyed by a range attack made by a Skitari model um, when the... Uh, protector imperative is active in your for your army uh you uh add one to the tally every time a unit is destroyed by a melee attack when the conqueror imperative is active you add one to the tally when uh if at the end of your opponent's turn the aggressor imperative is active uh and you have uh, for each Skitari unit in your opponent's deployment zone. And yeah. the other one is for the Bulwark Imperative if they're in, uh, if they're controlling an objective marker. I, it, it's, yeah. it's some serious sort of like, yeah. you know, ge geeky, like nerdy level, um, like enjoyment out of this. But I love the fact that as the Mechanicus, a lot of these sort of like objectives and experience and the, demonstrating yep. the way of the Omnisire <laughs> all basically comes down to um, the behavioral what if commands yeah. and statements yeah. and it's literally like I can see the encoding concepts yep. that are behind these ideas if do if, if do this thing while this thing is true yes. earn this XP there's a lot of that uh, <laughs> and yeah so that is effectively an agenda that has four separate bullet point little mini agendas in it yeah, like kill this but, thing while you're supposed yeah. to be killing things. Be in this place while you're supposed to be moving about. Yep. If you are, gain XP. Who has yep. the most of this, that, and that? They all gain this, that, and that. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so again, they're 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 quite good. Um, like I say, you've got two for basically spreading XP throughout your force, and two for getting the the uh, tech parts. I mean. Unless you're going to now surprise me with something in the requisitions to balance this, I find it odd that there's basically an agenda for your randomized tech part. There's an agenda yeah. for a guaranteed weapon part if you, you know, succeed it sort of thing. I'm surprised there isn't an agenda that lets you go hunting for um, a teleport part, I'm uh, sorry, a force field part yeah. and an arcana part. I mean, yeah, I that's... get it. It would be adding a bunch of extra agendas, but it feels like that could have been an inclusion here. Yeah, that's why I was a bit confused by the the fact that it calls out weapon parts specifically. 
it, it, I mean, I know most tech priests have a uh, most tech priests have a tendency to enjoy anything that it can be weaponized. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I guess it might be just that it it wants you to favor the weapons rather than the other things. Possibly, but yeah, I just find it it's a little odd that there seems to be that aim to manipulate towards a weapon part, but not the others. Yeah. I mean, but arguably the weapon parts are might be the least powerful. Uh, I suppose because and... you've got to like hit and wound and everything, right? So it yeah. it might just be the, the it, uh, effectively a balancing mechanic to make sure you're you're more likely to get a weapon part and therefore not something really powerful. So while these are somewhat like you know obtainable and manipulable, um, I believe there are some other unorthodox methods of acquisition. Yes, requisitions. Uh, let's quickly go over the ones that are most relevant to that then so first of all we have assemble archaeotech for one requisition point that just lets you build an archaeotech item what we've just been talking about Mm -hmm. nice and simple that's all it does i mean it's still worth acknowledging that it's a requisition point you know that could have been five power level for your order of battle it could be a warlord tray or relic or other stuff i mean Again, just to reference my own recent adding to my order of battle, I know that I needed to spend three requisition points to add a weird boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I needed him to have a custom at creation um, upgrade. Um, so I think yeah. it's like specialist equipment or whatever. Um, and I also needed him to have a relic. I mean, I know I don't literally have to have a relic because I could have added it earlier today, but for me personally, I wanted to. I only wanted to play him if he's going to have the relic, so I waited yeah. until I had an additional requisition. So... Yeah, I think um, as as we'll see very shortly, the requisition points are going to be in quite high demand in this book, uh, which um, yeah is interesting. Yeah, so go on and tell us what other ways so you'll be wanting to spend your requisition. <laughs> let's talk about the unorthodox acquisition. This is the one that was uh, previewed. Um, it's three or five requisition points, which, <laughs> yes. which is is a lot. I mean, it's uh, ludicrous as, when you consider yeah. that you know starting level of like crusade games is twenty five power level, which yep. is also the equivalent of five requisition. Yep. So you are uh, literally expending the resources of a small military force. Yes. <laughs> to uh, pull it's, these it's also worth noting that five requisition points is how many you start with. And it's the maximum you can have at any one point. Actually, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. That Yeah, you can never have more than five for any reason. So you've either got to spend it immediately or save up quite a lot. (laughs) Go on. So what does it do for this very high price tag? Effectively, you pick an Archaeotech item. Uh, For three, you pick one of the types and then roll a d6. So uh, either a power source or a weapon or a force field or a techno arcana. Whereas for five, when you said you pick an item, do you mean you pick a part? You you pick the part specifically yes. that you want, yes. So yeah. if you want that uh, uh, spatial alternator power... Oh, like, I thought you, you, pick it. You, you were picking that it was going to be a force field part and then you randomize it. You're saying you actually pick which yep. of the D6 table... Yep. It is. Yes. If you for five requisition points, you pick out the one you want. 
Oh, that that makes sense then why it's five requisition because you're actually determining what ability it's going to have yep. right whereas for free requisition are you saying that you can say you want yep. a weapon part you select one type of archaeotech and then either select that type's part or roll d6 ah that makes sense like that, that's that's better yep. than i thought it was because i thought yes. what you were saying was a free requisition you just get a part at random nope a specific five, type of part but five yeah. is the the bespoke component you wanted um so obviously you can use that to to plug the gaps if you've as we previously mentioned if you somehow picked up like three uh you know power source parts and nothing else you could spend that to get a weapon part and build a weapon or whatever i like that this requisition is basically your tradesman's catalog yeah I'm like, nah, I don't need an alternating power source. What I need is an acidic power source. Have you got any in stock? <laughs> yeah. But as we mentioned, it's a lot of requisition points. So I I feel like it's, it's going to be... literally all of them. Yeah, quite uncommon to do that. <laughs> all right, yeah. So if you really do know that you want to build your particular flavor of Doomsday Weapon then uh, you can do, but it's going to cost you probably ultimately 10 requisition of probably a small campaign to achieve that. Yes. Uh, That would probably be, uh, well, you, you get one a game, right? So that's, unless you, you earn some through winning a a specific mission, uh, that's 10 games worth of requisition. Oh, yeah, without doing anything else to your yeah. order of battle in that time. Sorry, 11, because you've got to spend one to assemble it as well. Oh, of course, you're right, because obviously <laughs> you're just getting the part, aren't you? You still need to build it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it is expensive to yeah. build Dark Age technology. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so we'll, let's talk about the, the last thing that I found that um, interacts with the... Uh, uh, the Archaeotech parts, mm-hmm. which is the consecrated upgrade requisition for one or two requisition points. Okay. So you purchase this requisition when a Skatari unit that isn't a vehicle from your army uh, that does not contain any models with weapon enhancements gains one of the weapon enhancements found on the next page. Yeah. Of which there are, well, not on the next page, on a page uh of which there are loads so you spend this requisition if the unit has a power rating of nine or less it's one requisition point and if it has a power rating of 10 or less or 10 or more it's two requisition points to give a skatari unit that's getting a weapon upgrade so when you do this you spend one archaeotech power source and one archaeotech one of any other Archaeotech part for the okay. unit that has a power rating of nine or less. So you're spending one requisition and two components yeah. on a on a um, a unit that's just got a weapon upgrade, a weapon enhancement. Yeah. Uh, effectively, every model in that unit has that weapon enhancement. <laughs> Because normally it's just the squad sergeant that gets it right. So it's yeah, whatever. This you can get an yeah. entire unit with it. It also increases their crusade points by three. 
I'm not surprised when you consider that it, this yep. is stuff like, so from an orc point of view, I could immediately think, hmm, I could get plus one damage on every chopper in this yeah. unit of orc boys. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, uh, that would be huge. And I assume there's going to be similar things yes. that the adbeg capable of doing. So if the unit has a power rating of 10 or more, um, it's two Archaeotech power sources, two Archaeotech parts of any other source, and it increases their crusade points by five. <laughs> but the entire unit gets the same weapon enhancement. And is this because it would be like a 20-man unit of rangers or uh, something? Well, actually, funny you should say that, but I think a 20-man unit, a big old unit of rangers or vanguard is only nine power rating. <laughs> Okay, so so they would be the cheaper option of the two. So is that going to yeah. be more like so things I, like I think it be dragoons. I yeah, I think that's probably uh, well. It is include it excludes vehicle units. Uh, okay. So off the top of my head, I'm not sure what that actually involves. That's ten or more power rating. In either case, um, anyway. So there's a whole bunch on. of these unit upgrades. Um, so. Tell you what, so, why don't we jump quickly to those then? Give us some examples of okay, the kinds so of units. The, most, the thing that jumps to mind is a big unit of 20 Vanguard uh, that you could upgrade for one requisition point, two Archaeotech parts, increases their Crusade points by three, and they would all get an upgrade to their Radium weapons, which could be... Uh, it could oh oh jesus <laughs> uh yeah so it could be the upgrade thorium rounds which uh effectively lets you play the enriched round stratagem for zero cp only affecting the unit the models with that um enhancement so ordinarily that would be just the squad sergeant for zero cp fair enough but in this in this specific unit it's zero CP to play that stratagem on them, and it affects the entire unit. Uh, and that stratagem means that when they currently, it means when they roll a four up to hit, it wounds automatically against non-vehicle units. <laughs> right, and how and, many? And, how and many this shots is a unit each? three. <laughs> so. Each one of them, on average, is going to be causing one or so, two automatic yeah. wounding. So that's it's a sixty-shot unit <laughs> so that would automatic wounds. that would cause thirty automatic wounds, which um, <laughs> is absolutely brutal. So with that upgrade, you could do that for zero CP. And is that just like every turn if you wanted? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So and that's, then, that's a combination that jumped out at me to being very silly. Um, and then what's the alternative radium weapon upgrade? Yes, so there's two of each, as we'll get to in a bit. Uh, the alternative is Rad Sickness. Uh, after the bearer's unit has shot, select one enemy unit that has one or more models destroyed as a result of an attack made by a model in the bearer's unit with this weapon enhancement. Until the start of your next command phase, that unit is Rad Sick. While the unit is rad six, subtract one from the strength and toughness characteristics of models in that unit. Uh, that unit is not affected by rad saturation and extreme rad saturation abilities. <laughs> so you shoot them and make them sick. Um, so if, if your 60 yeah. shots don't do it, then they're going to be crippled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fun I mean, times. 
I guess it's far more likely to come off when it's the unit doing it, because if it was just the sergeant, you'd have yeah. to roll the sergeant separately for him to proc a casualty yeah. to trigger. Okay. So so that's interesting then. And obviously there's a whole bunch of different Skatari units that you could apply these various weapon upgrades oh, yes. to the entire unit for the expense yeah. of what do you say, one requisition plus two parts. Yes. One but of which has, has to, to be a power source. Yeah, so I think the key thing there though is that the second could be anything, which includes a yep. second power source. Yes. Uh, oh no, it's one other Archaeotech part. Oh, damn it. Okay. So See, you couldn't that's... have two power sources. See, I was thinking that that would be one of those helpful redundancies uh -huh. if your Archeo parts keep coming in as power cores. No, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to have loads of power cores just sitting around. <laughs> uh, see, see, I feel like that could have been some of the... I don't see why that condition was necessary. Because yeah. if, if I've rolled up... If I've been a little bit unlucky and I've rolled up three Archeo parts and over those last three games, all of them have been power cores, yeah. I wouldn't feel too bad about using two of them to use this requisition yeah. because I'd still have one spare for when I hopefully roll a non-power core part <laughs> in my next game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But if if I can't even do this because I need a non-power core, I just I, I wonder yeah. I, I wonder if maybe it should have been um, on a one or a two you get a power on a three and a four you get a weapon and then five six. Maybe you get force field or arcana well I that could have been i mean interesting maybe thing. except for the fact that you need the power source to build any of the others so it makes sense that you get that three times as likely as any of the others uh but yeah we so we're starting to see the um the kind of i'm not sure if i'd say flaws of the system but uh the, the intricacies the kind of, the yeah moving the, parts. the fact that it it is uh, possibly deliberately difficult to acquire these items and build them uh, it's uh it's not like i think the the death guard one is that you get that randomly generated plague that you can put on one of your guys and then you can put it on more guys um and that like you get that for free at the start of the uh, start of the the crusade uh this you've really got to you know kind of work for hmm. And I guess you could also, in theory, use that consecrated upgrade to take one of the weapon enhancements from the Obolus campaign in Book of Rust. If you uh, it it does specify the ones on uh, found on page uh, seventy seven. Okay, so it has to be the Mechanicum ones, yep. even though the Obolus campaign ones are kind of like public domain Mechanicum yes. upgrades. I mean, I I guess you could argue if they're also found on page seventy seven in a different book. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Gizzo Shop. Make sure that you do not accidentally <laughs> print any other weapon enhancements in any other book on page 77. Otherwise, you have to steal them. I mean, that would be funny, but yeah. Uh, if, yeah. If, if the weapon enhancements for Thousand Sons happen to be on page 77, um, then you yep. might be getting some warp rounds. Yeah. I guess in their book, it'd be more thematically if it was on page 99. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um that's that's kind of the gist of the uh archaeotech components section yeah so uh, but the, as, so as we previously mentioned there's there's some stuff that doesn't involve that right yeah so, so that, there is some more then, is that kind of everything that relates to the archaeotech system as far as i can tell yes 
Yeah, and then we've got a couple more acquisitions, and then we've got a bunch of um, racial weapon enhancements, yep. battle yep. and similar. Yes. So, um, should we just uh, return to the last couple of requisitions that are Let's. unique to the Mechanicum? Okay, so uh, the next one we'll talk about is Holy Orders, which you've mentioned before, uh, and that's one requisition point, and it is basically just give a Holy Order upgrade to one of your or units, uh, increase the Crusade uh, cost and the power level and all that as as per building an army list, right? Yeah, so is this the equivalent of, like, you know, your chief apothecary? Exactly. Uh, um, Forge Father, blah, 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 and so yep. on. And, and then your Space Marine Honorifics. It's the... Yep. In match play, you can pay points for this upgrade to be a special version of a thing. But in Crusade, you spend a requisition, and then you permanently yes. add that special version of that thing. Exactly, and you induct them into the one of the holy orders, uh, the genitors, the low uh, guy, the the magi, and the artisans. One of um, those four. Yeah. You you incidentally you can't be in more than one of them. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, they're an exclusive group. Once you've signed up with one fraternity, you can't join another. Yep. Um, and as, then, as far do... as I can tell, though, incident. Interestingly enough, you can have more than one character in each one, which you can't do in yes, match play. Yes, because uh, oh, can you not? Okay, so as no. part of your crusade, you could in theory have all your tech priests be from the same order over time. I think so. I'm not sure. Um, it doesn't say in the crusade section that you can't. I'm not sure yeah. if it is is clarified in the Holy Orders section, but uh, it would feel uh, a fairly narrative option. Yeah, it feels appropriate. They're a brotherhood from yep. that Holy Order. Okay. Um, is there any prerequisite to be able to do it? Do you have to be a certain experience level? Or uh, like so you, you can only do it when you gain a rank. Uh, I think you can also do it when you start uh, add a new tech priest. Uh, yes, so add a tech priest or when a tech priest uh, gains a rank. Yeah, so it's a bit so, like... Um, I think that's just the same as the Space Marine ones, isn't it? Yeah, and just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think in the case of like Chief Apothecary and stuff, I think you have to be at least effectively like level 3 in experience. Okay. Uh, because cause the idea is you have to be a veteran of the chapter yeah. to be the Chief Apothecary. Uh, I guess <laughs> for this one, you, you could easily have a tech priest from one of the Holy Orders turn up who has no idea how it works on a battlefield. Yeah. So they they could be well experienced as a, a janitor, but uh, have no idea how a gun works. <laughs> um. So yeah. So that's basically the you know it's your, your match play upgrade. Yeah. Into your crusade equivalent. Yeah, so that's fairly standard here. Uh, and there's one more requisition here, which is is a fun one. Um. It's called body donor. Uh, and it's it's kind of like the one that lets you turn a character into a dreadnought, or or turn them into a primaris marine or whatever. It's that it's kind a, of thing. You, it's a so basically, yeah. So you pay one requisition point, and you can at any time when a tech priest model from your crusade force gains a rank, remove that model from your order of battle and replace it with another tech priest model. Uh, so they have to be from the same forge world, but it can be any other tech priest model or the same one if you really want to. <laughs> Uh, right. as far as I can tell um, and you have the same number of experience points you have the same battle honours and the same archaeotech so it's 
they just get all the same stuff, but it's a new body. Uh, and you have no battle scars. Ah, okay. Because I was going to say, <laughs> so, this, so at this point, it was basically a, it's a respec, because you're yep. saying you could change from being, uh, for example, a Dominus to a Manipulus. Yep. Um, you would maintain your battle traits and upgrades mm-hmm. and all the rest of it because it's still the same guy. Yeah, he's just respect his loadout as his it new but, body. Yeah, but because he's physically essentially having a <laughs> either yep. a brain transplant or he's ejecting his um, <laughs> external hard drive. Yep, and plugging it into the new um, body. He has no battle scars because it's physically a different yep. body. Yes. Okay, so yeah, that's cool. That's the... <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Eject me. Get me a new body. This one's yep. falling apart. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's all the requisitions in, in here. Uh, although it is worth... Um, I'm not quite sure how it interacts, but obviously in the in the core rulebook, there is requisitions to add a warlord trait or a, or a relic via the use of stratagems that you would normally play before the start of the battle, right? Yeah, it's called like specialist um, uh, equipment or something. Yes. Um, like, like for example, the weird boy I've just added to my order of battle, I make him a warphead, which is yeah. a stratagem upgrade pre-game. But because it's a crusade exactly. order of battle, I spend one requisition and he permanently is a warphead. But I have to spend that when he's added to the order of battle yeah. and when he's like created. So, so this is relevant because in the admech book not only are there stratagems to give your characters a wall or trait or a relic whatever that doesn't matter because you can do it in the book anyway there are stratagems to give your skitari unit leaders a wall or trait or a relic so okay you can theoretically give all of your skitari units like a, a a relic or a wall or trait onto their squad sergeant I guess it's a bit like the special issue animations that all the Space Marine chapters have access to. Um, yeah. You can give those to unit sergeants. Yes. But you're yeah, saying you can also do it with warlord traits in this Yes. Case. There is a specific list of Skitari warlord traits that they can take and a list of some of the relics they can take. So. That's interesting. I think because I would say that. You a could lot apply a lot. Trait, <laughs> yeah. I would say a lot of warlord traits mechanically probably wouldn't work when it's a unit and it's a single member of the unit as opposed to an individual character model so uh aside specifically the skitari warlord traits in this book all of them have the same uh kind of vague theme and they are that you pick a unit within six at the in the command phase and that unit gets x buff Right, so obviously in theory you would typically pick the squad they're with to benefit. Exactly, so you'd either or, pick the squad they're with or a squad they're next to or yeah. you can pick a unit that's got a a data tether and is on like the other side of the board. <laughs> so he's he's issuing a command protocol basically. Yes. Is what he's doing, yeah. He's <laughs> he's just connecting via Zoom to yep. the uh, unit on the other <laughs> So there's, there's a lot of extra complexity in here. Uh, and I mentioned that because <laughs> that's yet more things you want to spend requisition on. So you really are going to be after those requisition points and not wanting to waste them. And that's before you use some of them for some of these fancy weapon enhancements. Yes. 
Um, so I'm well. The weapon enhancements you theoretically get as uh, as a, an upgrade when you go up a level, don't you? Instead of a battle trait. Uh, yes, of course. What I mind about it. Yeah, that's, but that's you, uh, for, yeah. you spend them on the consecrated upgrade to give it to the whole unit. <laughs> but if you were just to earn them, the it looks like the mechanic can have a a, a series of a lot, basically yes. D two tables, isn't it? Of yes, upgrades for their unique weapon types. So their exactly. radiums, cognis, plasma, phosphor, um, rifle and carbine weapons. Yep, that's the list. <laughs> Covers most things. Um, so give us one or two of your favorites. Uh, so there were a couple that I picked out off the top. Well, that I thought looked interesting. In addition to the one that I already mentioned, or the ones I already mentioned with the radium weapons, um, I like the plasma fully charged upgrade, which uh, uh, every each time an attack made with this weapon targets unit within 12 inches of the bearer, and the bearer remains stationary during its previous movement phase, it makes one additional attack with this weapon. So <laughs> uh, I do like my plasma servitors, the uh, Cataphron destroyers with the plasma culverins um which are d6 shots so, yeah, so uh d6 plus one if you've stayed or it yeah. be 2d6 because you're firing the weapon twice uh it says make one additional attack with this weapon so yeah, uh so i'd assume it'd be d6 plus one like that's that's my assumption yeah because it's not uh, that you're firing the weapon a second time it's just you're adding an extra attack I think so. Yeah. And obviously this would just be on the unit sergeant equivalent unless you've used the fancy requisition to apply Well, sadly, to sadly you can't use the fancy thing because it's not a Skitari unit. Oh, true. So in this case, <laughs> if your plasma destroyers, it would just be yep. their sergeant. But, well, they don't have a sergeant, so it'd just be so one just random one. Member. Yeah. But you could theoretically pick it multiple times. Um... Yeah, I guess, because you I'll wouldn't just be loading it onto... Because you don't have a sergeant, you wouldn't no. have to be applying it to the same model each time. Yeah. So you could, over three upgrades, apply it to a unit of three to each individual member. Yeah. So That's it's a bit weird, but, you know. Fair enough. Um, And then we've got some unique battle traits as well. It looks like there's a few different yep. tables. So there's a there are a few different tables. It's, it's interesting that um, there's a D6 table for Tech Priest units, uh, which uh, obviously is is only your HQ units, so fair enough. But it's, it's, I think most of the other ones have had like a D3 or or you know specific upgrades. So well, obviously the Tech Priests are going to keep all the best options for themselves. Yeah. It, they they get priority picks. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme in this book that the tech priests get a lot of cool stuff uh, because obviously you're you're giving them your your um, architect treasures as well. Uh, plus, yeah, they can have the holy orders like, or the wall of traits or whatever. Yeah, so it's not like one of your architect yeah. treasures could actually go to a Skatari marshal, is it? No. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, there's six options there for the for him. Um, there are interestingly uh, there's a there's a, uh, a a three optioned table specifically for Skitari martial units. 
I think Games Workshop is really priding itself on the invention of this Guitar in Marshall and yeah, taking any opportunity so. to remind people that it exists. Uh, then there's a, a D3 on the core and Catafron servitor units. So that's yeah. basically all of the army, apart from vehicles. Uh, and then D3 on vehicles. So the D3 is for vehicles is what would apply to the big punchy robots, isn't it? Yes, vehicle yeah. units. Give us an example upgrade that the punchy robots could get. Okay, so there's one that uh, that uh, took my attention, um, which is Hardened Machine Spirit. Uh, it means that out-of-action tests taken for this unit are automatically passed, which means Ooh. you will never get a battle scar for that unit, which means you'll never have to spend requisition points to remove a battle scar from that unit. Which means you can spend the Monarchia take parts. Exactly. <laughs> no, that that's really good. I know, um, again, in my recent game, I ended up with three units which all lost XP because of the fact that they suffered battle scars. Yeah. And I did not fancy taking... So they, they suffered out-of-action tests that they failed, and I didn't fancy taking battle scars um, on two of them. So, I, so actually, I ended up with two units that dropped to zero XP. I mean, they only had, yeah. like four or five anyway, but they lost all of them. And so, they didn't gain any for the game they played in. Yeah. So it's, it's it, it, that makes a big difference. Yeah, it's I mean it's kind of a boring upgrade, but it is a good one. But it's a good one. Yeah. Right, so um, give us give us an exciting if not so good one from any of the other tables. So the uh core and catafront servitor units option one is enhanced bionics. It improves their invulnerable save by one. Uh, to a maximum of a four plus. And so, was it normally you typically have normally a most Skitari, most units in the book have a six up invulnerable save, but there are the elite Skitari have improved bionics for a five up invulnerable save. So that will go up to a four up on your rust stalkers or your uh, Taraxi or your uh, sulfur hounds or whatever. I mean, yeah, those are four up invulnerable. It's not bad at all, yeah. is it? So, so that's pretty good, I reckon. I'd definitely take that on some Rust Stalkers or something. Um, and then, funnily enough, as an almost afterthought when it comes to the Mechanicus, what do their actual Crusade relics look like? Are they somewhat <laughs> yes. overshadowed by the Archeo treasures? I mean, I kind of think they are. Um, there's only one page of it. I was kind of expecting, like, two or three pages of loads of relics. But then that's kind of like what I was saying earlier, that I thought yeah. that might have been the the easy way of yes. doing the faction mechanic, but instead yeah. they've gone with this multi-stage, multi-part, multi-tabled ability series yeah. of really cool things. So if you don't want to um, expend all the time and energy chasing these parts, and instead you do just want to pick up a relic off the shelf, as it were, what yep. sort of options do they have? So there are four relics in the book. Two Artificer relics, one Antiquity relic, and one Legendary relic. So, <laughs> Is the yeah. Legendary relic going to be outpicked over the Vortex Grenade? Is uh, it ever? <laughs> mm, I don't know. It's pretty good, in fairness. Uh, no, no, we'll, we'll start with the so, Artificer ones. Artificer relics. Let's just go through them all quickly. Uh, the Multiplexed Neural Inducer... Uh, it gives you the ability to point at a forge world core unit within six inches 
uh, and they are eligible to heroically intervene as if they were a character. So that's quite that's cool. You can just you tell your Skitari unit to heroically intervene. No problem. Uh, amusingly, there is a way to make the the Castellan robots core. <laughs> <laughs> so I could see that would... being hilarious. Yeah, you would not want those heroically intervening. No. <laughs> Uh, the other relic is the Cardiocore Galvanus, uh, which is a a, it's a cardio fist-sized galvanic cell that pulses with rhythmic power uh, embedded in a zealot's chest capacity, uh, cavity. So basically, this is this is Tony Stark's arc reactor, right? <laughs> Slash his, the, this guy's workout playlist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just, uh, it's just it's just a, like an ancient Hercule iPod, like iPod shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> so the way this works is similarly, you pick uh, a core unit. This is specifically Skitari, though, within yeah. six inches, and they get to add one to their advance and charge rolls. So it's pretty good. It's not that exciting, but it's uh, it could definitely be useful for a bunch of um, melee Skitari uh, well, again, possibly your uh, yeah your Cerberus riders. Yep. So yeah, that's that. Uh, so the antiquity relic is the uh, trans induction body, uh, which um, is a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I was reading the description of this, and basically, it's Ray form, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> It, it's sneaky acquired Necron tech in my mind. It could it's well be, yeah. Ability to fears. Um, it, it says, superstitious theories surround this chunk of archaeotech. When bolted into one's bionic body, the bearer can will their form to discorporeate, uh, allowing them to walk through solid rock. Effectively, it means you can move um, through terrain features horizontally, as long as you don't end up on someone's base or or like in a ball or something. Uh, you can shoot and charge in the turn you fill back, uh, and you can declare a charge in the turn in which you advance. Yeah, it's basically here are all the in-game benefits that represent enhanced mobility. Yeah, and it's because, like you say, you're just rare forming. You're yep. like you know you you're basically translocating your molecules yep. uh, anywhere and whenever you need to. Yeah, it does sound like cheeky Necron tech, doesn't it? A little bit. And go and so, then tell us what the legendary the latest, relic. Yeah, what is the latest contender to try and so, unseat the vortex grenade? This was previously a a relic um, in the main book that uh, did something very different. Uh, it's the Auto Cardusius of Arkan Land. Uh, this rod's runic runic tip can impart blessed energy to anything metallic that the wielder strikes. Cyborgs and engines so struck will stitch themselves back together as if repaired by a techno-archaeologist. Right. Uh, so, once per battle, uh, when another friendly forge model within six inches of the bearer is destroyed, you can choose to roll 1d6 at the end of the phase instead of using any rules that are triggered when a model is destroyed, e.g. explodes. Right. If you do so, then a three, on a 3+, plus, set that model back up on the battlefield as close as possible to where they were destroyed, but not within engagement range of any enemy models. 
with six wounds remaining. This cannot allow the model to have more than it started with, blah, blah, blah. So it's a three plus to get back up, say, a destroyed Onaga Dune Crawler. Now, or a Castellan robot. Or or whatever. Or a Tech Priest Dominus? Did you say uh, yes, a or a Tech Priest Dominus. Yeah. It's not even though it implies vehicle, it doesn't have to yep. be a vehicle no. unit. <laughs> just just a forge world model. The same same forge world as you. You pick them back up. <laughs> so if the uh, if the new donor body isn't working well enough, give it a whack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it might just pull itself back together. So you can you can see that's uh that's quite strong. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically kind of like the armor of fate ability. It's it's like Gulliver's yeah. resurrection, um, yeah. in a stick. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so the the peak of Mechanicum, um, like <laughs> tech support is whack it <laughs> and see yep. if it works. Yep, hit it with a magic <laughs> stick. Wow. So sure. <laughs> so after. All the various complicated multi-stages of developing ancient archaeotech that we've devised, we've come full circle to whack it with a stick. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. Yes, a truly legendary relic. So yeah, maybe maybe one day you'll have a tech priest who has both a vortex grenade and a magic stick. Ah, uh, wouldn't that be lovely? And some electric Tesla coils sticking out his back, <laughs> and and a. a Predator, yeah. auto cannon, finger gun, and this, that, and everything else, and yeah, and it won't be good enough, you know, to switch to a new body. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot in here. Yeah, I mean, I think this has probably been our longest on Crusade segment to date. Possibly. And and to be honest, I feel like you know we also you know moved quite quickly through some of those sections. Yes. Because um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there to go over, but the the Archaeotech treasures, it's just it's just cool. It's just such a really yeah. neat idea. It's a really on-theme mechanic that's also been implemented and executed in a really interesting way. Yeah, it, it really speaks to me. It's uh, exactly the kind of thing you want from Crusade Rules. Uh, and Admech. Yeah, so I think you'll be looking forward to playing some more Crusade games in the near future. I hope so. And I look forward to being on the receiving end of <laughs> horrible, horrible technologies. Nice. <laughs> and hopefully you know, Mechanicus fans out there enjoyed listening to this and maybe if anyone else just enjoyed listening to all the craziness that the Mechanicum are capable of and maybe there are even some new converts to the uh, the will of the Omnissiah I hope so <laughs> um, but for now that is everything from our On Crusade for today so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with our spotlight topic for tonight beep boop Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. 
You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that latest On Crusade segment. I know Dan definitely enjoyed it. I did. I mean, I did as well, to be fair. Devising some of those crazy, like, archaeotech devices was just hilarious. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, get to do that in the game. And I think it's probably worth saying that I know at the start of this episode, we said, you know, this was going to be our spotlight topic, talking about playing unbalanced games. But realistically, um, that On Crusade segment, it, it went on a lot longer than I expected it to. And <laughs> it probably ended up in the majority of the show by this point. <laughs> but I regret nothing because it was great fun to talk about. And again, I say it almost every time, but I think it's probably been my favorite like On Crusade segment <laughs> so far. They, yeah, the, um, the Crusade rules do seem to keep getting better and better. I cannot wait to see what they do with Orcs. I know, right? Oh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but I think every like On Crusade mechanic we've had so far, with hindsight, once you know what it is, it's so obvious that that's obviously what that faction would do. Yeah, yeah. But I just cannot place for the life of me what they're going to do as a like persistent resource system. Mm for orcs and unless it's going to be something like accumulating loot yeah and then you do something with your loot counters eventually presumably maybe to unlock or upgrade like unique custom jobs maybe who knows i guess we'll find out soon yeah hopefully uh... but again this is this is not another on crusade segment (laughs) (laughs) no this is playing unbalanced games. This is playing on stay stay on target. <laughs> so yes. Playing unbalanced games. So so Tony, why play an unbalanced game? Well, there are a few different reasons. Uh first of all, what is an unbalanced game? Well, basically a game where you've got a different points value or power level between the two players is, I would say, the most typical example yep. uh, of an unbalanced game. Because again, we don't. I, I kind of struggled what to name this segment because I didn't want unbalanced to mean unfair. Yeah, so we're not necessarily talking about games where one player has a massively higher chance of winning the game. We're talking about games when one player has a massively higher like army size yeah like they've, they've got more resources to hand you know like yeah there's definitely the like you know this imbalance of um armies but that doesn't mean the game itself isn't going to be a balanced outcome you know like chance of victory sort of thing yeah um so although, like i said well, although it, it, i guess it might still be unbalanced I mean, in, you, there are some examples, but like the idea is that um, trying to necessarily overcome or defeat the larger army is not necessarily the objective because it's probably yeah. not going to happen. No. <laughs> like, no matter how good a player you are, taking on a 2,000-point army with a 1,000-point army is probably going to be an unachievable goal in most cases. 
if you're talking about trying to table the opponent. Yeah. yeah it's, odds certainly aren't in your favour in that situation. So, to your point, why play yes. an unbalanced why? game? Why indeed? Well, because basically, you know, those prime examples of underdog stories are incredibly cinematic game experiences. You know, playing out a last stand and just seeing how long you can survive or how many of the enemy you can take with you um, is just so cinematic and cool to see on the tabletop. I mean, one of the most iconic pieces of like 40k artwork is the Crimson Fists holding the banner high in that last stand against the invading orcs on Rin's world. And we know it's not going to go well. There's there's plenty of examples um, in the law, like we mentioned tonight before we started recording the Battle for McCrag, like yeah. the Ultramarine's first company taking on the entirety, more or less, of what I believe was High Fleet Behemoth, I want to say. Uh, yes, I think it was um, at that stage. You know, and yeah, they died to a man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is the Ultramarine's first company at full strength, and they had no chance. Yeah. But they held out long enough that Calga was able to, you know, um command the the space battle and defeat the fleet in orbit, effectively cutting off the rampaging, you know, Tyranids on the crag for them to then bring in, you know, the relief force and the rest of the Ultramarine's chapter to basically clear them off. But yeah, like the the battle had a purpose. Yeah, even though it was a predetermined outcome that all the space marines were going to die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if we're honest, almost everything in the law is an unbalanced battle, right? It is. Uh, I mean, all the various wars for Armageddon is always this idea that you know the overwhelming orc forces or the world eaters or corn demons or whatever are just completely outnumbering you know these def- these defenders, and it's about can they survive the siege? Yep. I mean, even realistically, even things like the siege of terror itself at the height yes. of the heresy <laughs> yes. was considerably an unbalanced conflict. And realistically, the traitor forces were probably going to eventually win the day if it wasn't for the fact that the emperor slew Horace, like in mm-hmm. that single combat. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, Come on. But, yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> It's been 10,000 years. Yeah. I think people have had enough time to realize the Emperor, you know, did not come out of that conflict well either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the the very cinematic games. I mean, like who honestly could say that they could play the Battle for McCrag and say it wasn't a fun experience? If you could get a game and play with 100 Terminators versus an endless horde of Tyranids until all the Terminators are dead... Who's going to sit there and say, well, that was a bit dull? Uh, well, I mean, if I'm honest, if you had to roll the dice for that, it might be a bit dull. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked really play, cool. Play with apocalypse rules if you yeah, I think, want to do I think you'd scale. have to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and speaking of cinematic, I mean, what's, what's the most iconic sort of animated cinematic type 40k thing you can think of? Definitely uh, not the Space Marine movie. Uh, no. For me, uh, given that, that we're recording this before all the Warhammer, Warhammer animation stuff comes out, so we're, we're talking about things in the past now, for me, I think it, it must be the, uh, the the Dawn of War 1 intro. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, that is a very classic example of even as the space marines charge up the hill, they know they're, you know, battling into um, winnable odds. And really, yep. they're just trying to plant the banner high before exactly. the uh, the rest of the chapter arrive to purge the alien. <laughs> yep. So uh, why play, in, play unbalanced games? So you can do that. <laughs> yeah. And they are perfect for key moments in like events or campaigns because, I mean, a lot of the systems we've seen with things like the, Obel- uh, the Obolis campaign or even Flashpoint Agavon and uh, stuff like that, um, these publications often have particular legendary missions or key battles that are meant to represent moments in the narrative. And there's no reason why you can't use unbalanced games like this to create those kind of conflicts in your own homebrew campaigns. You know, say the first, like, two weeks of this campaign have been um, spent fighting over a particular world in this system, and it's apparent that the Chaos Alliance is going to be winning that cycle of the campaign. Well, why not play a game where... (laughs) the chaos forces have overwhelming um you know force to bring to bear to basically either eradicate the remaining imperial forces on this world before they claim ultimate control of it or they're fighting the bewildered imperial forces as they're trying to escape and evacuate like ultimately the battle is going to go the way for the chaos forces because as a faction they're winning this section of the campaign so represent that with a game where chaos is winning and it's undeniably going to win the day might not win the war overall in the campaign because at the end of the next cycle maybe the imperial forces are on top of that one and you could have a game where they're you know um bearing down on a ritual site where the chaos forces are just trying to do just finish off enacting this ritual to open a rift to be able to try and, you know, swing the conflict back in their favour. But those defending that ritual know that they're going to have to sell their lives to buy time for it to happen. Yeah. Um, it can, a bit like Apocalypse, an unbalanced game can be an excuse for a player to field their entire collection or particular like Lord of War units. Yep. You know, it, it doesn't have to be that both players have... Uh, you know, a 4,000 point collection each to play an Apocalypse game. If one person has, a, you know, built and painted 3,000 points of guard and they want to play with all three of their Bane Blades, <laughs> well, maybe they can. Uh, if their friend only has 2,000 points of um, Tau, I don't know, you know, or whatever. Well, maybe this is a battle in the Dam- Damocles Gulf where one of these Tau Frontier worlds is now feeling the retribution of the Imperial Might. And again, there's this, you know, company of Bane Blades that are rolling up and they are going to rout these Tau forces. But can the Tau get, you know, a communication relay up and running and a distress signal sent back to the Core Worlds before um, the Imperials are able to crush it? Yeah, there's a... I mean, there's also... There's kind of a classic trope of one player has a big scary monster type unit, a titan or a super heavy or something, and then another player has to build a a force specifically to try and fight against it with limited resources. 
Yeah, so it could be that, you know, you play your, you know, 4,000 points of, you know, chaos, but I don't know, I don't know what the points are exactly, but whatever portion of that is taken up by a Reaver Titan, the chaos yeah. player has, and the Imperial players, or player, only has a 2,000 point force, but their sole objective of the game is to destroy the Reaver Titan, and if they achieve that, they win. So the rest of their force can be spent just trying to hold at bay the you know the chaff units, while the ones that can do the damage to the reaver are trying to bring it down. Just to uh, just to confirm that reaver titan is three thousand points. Okay, so a thousand points of escort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but still, you know, the reaver by itself outpoints the imperial force in this example. <laughs> yes, it does. Um. But yeah, and I did also come up with one more reason, which I think is my favourite reason for why you might play an unbalanced game, and that is if on game day your friend has shown up um, at the at the store or at your house or wherever you're going to play your game, you start getting all your models out, only for your friend who's travelled an hour or whatever to get there to realise they've left half their army at home. Yeah, classic blunder. Yeah, yeah, haven't picked up a case, or they picked up the wrong case, and it turns out they picked up their Eldar case, and, you know, well, that's not going to help them, you know, set up their Sisters of Battle army, (laughs) (laughs) or whatever, you know, and maybe they don't feel like playing randomly with, you know, hodgepodge army of Eldar and Battle Sisters just for the sake of it. Well, if they want to play with their Sisters, maybe, you know, they're, again, holding the line, maybe they're defending some um ancient relic or you know uh, remains of a saint and it doesn't matter that the necrons you know are arising from their tomb and are just going to annihilate them they're gonna you know sell their souls to protect it to the last and so on and you know it doesn't have to be a game day spoiled you can't just sit there and go oh well i've not got two thousand points now i've only got a thousand what we're gonna do play a game anyway yeah just be a little inventive with how you play it and you know tell a story based off the fact that you know one player has a smaller force than the other yeah and you know that's uh not too difficult to do as we will discuss shortly hmm. so yeah so like that's the concepts typically i think of where and when and why you might play an unbalanced game, but how? How do you want to actually go about playing these? Because you could just play, you know, two thousand point match play or crusade or whatever versus a thousand points, but that's not really gonna sort of create this cinematic moment that you're looking for. Not unless you're just doing a a last stand sort of thing and see how many of the enemy you can take with you before you are inevitably overwhelmed. But there are a few resources out there to sort mm-hmm. of help fas- uh, facilitate alternate ways of playing with unbalanced forces. So, first of all, one of the ways that we've mentioned a couple of times now um, on past shows is the open war cards. Yes. Um, because, again, these really are an underrated and undervalued product, which I highly advise anyone picks up a pack of when they get a chance. Because they include... Uh, two very specific mechanics in the like deck of various cards that are used 
when you're playing unbalanced games. So the first of which is the ruse cards, which I mean, I've mentioned before that I'm an advocate of offering a ruse card to both players anyway, when you play an open war game, because I think they add some interesting twists, but the original idea is that if you're playing a game where there's a small difference between the armies, say like, you know, 500 points or whatever, or I guess more like, you know, anywhere below a 50% difference. Yeah. Um, the idea is that the player with a smaller army gets a ruse card and it might be something like um, being able to recycle a dead unit um, being able to um, like use a stratagem for reduced points cost or being able to like outflank or scout move some units before the game which couldn't normally do so just something that's a little sort of tactical special rule or tweak to allow that player with a smaller force to position itself or bring to bear a different kind of resource to allow it to compete against the larger point value army. Yeah. And like one of these examples is priority target. At the start of the first battle round, select one unit from your opponent's army. You can reroll wound rolls of a one for attacks that target that unit or any other unit with the same data sheet. As that card so if you were fighting against free bane blades yep. then you know with that ruse your entire army just gets to reroll ones to wound against bane blades yeah which you know is gonna help if the aim of the game for you with the smaller army is to destroy those bane blades yeah i think um you could also uh you know be a bit narrative with that when if that situation comes up uh and let's let's say in this example you're playing against a guard army with a bane blade a shadow sword and uh whatever bane hammer i was gonna say bane hammer <laughs> whatever um just apply it to all of them even though they're yeah, technically yeah the same probably day just do that right <laughs> yeah I, i'd suggest exactly the same thing um you could say the same with like uh, if you were fighting as Imperial Knights, you could say like everything of a certain class. So you yeah. like all armages yeah. or all gallants or whatever. Or yeah, if you if know. you are in this situation of an unbalanced game, yeah. as we are talking about, and you're specifically trying to tailor it so that the other player has a a chance, you would take the the kind of like intent of this card rather than the strict wording necessarily. Oh yeah, yeah. I think intent is always. Um, a good, you know, guideline, especially with these sort of, you know, styles of game. Um, That said, however, some I would take pretty much as written word is the sudden death cards from the open war pack. Now, these really are, (laughs) these really are your trump cards for playing unbalanced games, I would say, because these are alternate win conditions that are available to the smaller force, which are kept hidden until they're achieved, at which point you simply declare that you win the game because you achieved whatever your hidden objective was, regardless of what you're doing. Because I guess we've not talked too much yet about what kind of missions you could play, but like in theory, you could be playing any mission out of any mission pack. It's just that you're using armies that are not of equal value. Um, And you could, in theory use these sudden death cards from open war to just allow another win con 
for the smaller army. Yeah. Or if you're just simply playing with the open war pack, then the mission you've generated from the pack will give you what your mission objective is that both players are trying to achieve. But this is that secondary win condition for the smaller army. Yeah. It's a it's a very good tool for having a like a, a quick answer to the how does the outnumbered force you know have a chance and again when you talk about sort of tailoring the mission to create that cinematic experience i would probably say that um in this case probably i guess it's kind of hidden so yeah maybe sort of try and pick one that feels appropriate without telling your opponent i guess well i mean it is specifically designed that you draw them isn't it at random it is but but so for example like this sudden death is vendetta if the enemy warlord is destroyed as a result of an attack made by your warlord the battle ends immediately and you are the winner now what happens if your warlord is a imperial guard company commander and your opponent's warlord is a um a castellan class knight I feel like um, a, a good solution if you're playing this in a, in a in a more narrative way than than the intent is that you could just uh, between the two of you pick the card that is appropriate. Um, I mean, I guess this is a good what, example. Yeah, so go on. I so say what you could do is you could pick two cards that are appropriate, and then have the the person who's doing this the secret objective randomize secretly pick the one that they're doing. Yeah, that could be one way of doing it. So, the, so even though yeah. you, you both know that whatever it is is going to be a thematically appropriate outcome, yep. but you don't know which one it is as exactly. the larger force. Yeah, I was going to say this would be a perfect opportunity to you know have a GM or a third player at the table. That would that would be very handy if you were playing in in like a gaming group or something, and you had someone on hand who yeah. could pick one for you. Yeah, designate. Yeah, they would say this is going to be your sudden death card because it makes sense for this matchup. But also, then the your opponent doesn't know exactly what it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So like. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, there's only there's only six of them, so I'm just going to run through them all now. So we've already said vendetta, <laughs> but, you know, your warlord killing theirs. Um, endure. If you have at least one model on the battlefield at the end of the battle, you are the winner. <laughs> just doesn't matter if they beat you 100 victory points to zero. If they haven't wiped you out and they don't know that that's your objective, so they're not necessarily going to be trying to do that. But you've only got a force that's half the size of theirs, so it's not going yeah. to be hard for them to accidentally wipe you out unless you're trying to avoid it. Um, there's also a vital ground at the end of your opponent's third or subsequent turns. If there are no enemy models within nine inches of the center of the battlefield, the battle ends immediately and you are the winner. <laughs> so they nice. might not know to keep things in the center, especially if it's something like, you know, Drukari or Harlequins, and yeah. they're darting here, there, and everywhere. They might just, after the third, you know, third round onwards, might happen to abandon the center of the field because they don't know it's strategically important to you. Or you might just focus your entire the firepower of your entire army on the stuff in the middle. And yeah, and just clear it away. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to destroy all of their force if you can just destroy the stuff that's in nine inch of the center, you'll win. Just clear the vital ground. Yeah. So again, when you think of it that way, they might have a two thousand point army to your thousand, but if only 
700 points of their army is concentrated in the center of the table, you can actually bring more to bear on that portion of the table than they have there. Quite possibly. Um, or there's the condi- uh, victory condition of blunt. If if the total in power rating or points values of enemy units destroyed is half or more of the enemy's starting total, the battle ends immediately and you are the winner. So even if your force is kind of destroyed in the process, if you can just simply take enough of them with you, i.e. half of them, yep. then you've managed to blunt the assault on whatever vital thing it is that you are narratively protecting. And they don't have the you know military strength anymore to threaten your allies, even though you've had to sell your you know life to achieve it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Similarly, we've got hold the line. If there are no enemy units, excluding aircraft, wholly within your deployment zone, at the end of the battle, you are the winner. Nice. So just to hold the line, keep them out. And then uh, finally, kill order. And this, I think, is um, the one that's similar to our Reaver example from earlier. At the start of the first battle round, secretly note down which model in your opponent's army has the highest wounds characteristic. Okay. This must be a character, vehicle, or monster model. If more than one model is tied to the highest wounds characteristic, choose which of those to note down. If that model is destroyed, the battle ends immediately and you are the winner. If your opponent does not have a character, vehicle, or monster card, draw another sudden death card. A very so, yeah. rare army to have none of those things. <laughs> no characters. <laughs> yeah. Vehicles or monsters. Um, I think unless you're doing a completely unaligned force of spindle drones, <laughs> I don't think it's achievable. <laughs> yeah. hmm. um, so yeah, unless you're facing down a horde of Blackstone Fortress automatons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kill the Reaver Titan, you win. Yeah, sort of thing. Pretty cool. Um, and that's just you know, that's just part of the open war cards, but that, that aspect of them is designed for playing this idea of unbalanced games. Yeah, and, and as you said, uh, well, I alluded to earlier, you can literally just use that in any game if you want. Like, you don't have to use it with the open war cards. You could just play a match play mission and whack that on as well, or or one of the crusade missions and have a sudden death as well. Why not? Mm-hmm. If, you, if there's an unbalanced force at play, it's a nice and easy way of balancing it. And then uh, another example in, I say, recent years, because this is actually from Chapter Approved 2019. Again, we're not going to go in depth to them tonight, but the challenge missions. There's literally a a series of three missions in this um, Chapter Approved, which are designed to be effectively unwinnable for one player, i.e. for Defender. Uh, But the idea is that they are going to score basically like a star rating of success based on how well they hold out or achieve their objectives before they're destroyed. Yeah. That's um, uh, like it's kind of like, um, you know, getting the high score on Pac-Man or whatever. Yeah, kind of. It's like one of these ones where you and your friends could probably play the same mission a few different times with a few different armies um, and see who's 1,000 point army can score the highest star rating um, in these missions um, when placing off one of their friends' 2,000-point armies. Yeah. It's so like one it, of them... Go on. 
was gonna say in in the previous example of one person forgot half their army. What you could do is you could play, play a challenge mission, play a challenge mission a thousand points versus two thousand points or whatever, and then you could swap armies and play it again and see yeah, who does best. Yeah, that'd be a good way of doing it because, um, I mean, another thing here is that, um, so I guess if you wanted, like the last stand example basically plays with, so like sustained assault. So as units are destroyed from the attacker's force, like D3 your turn of destroyed units just keep coming back on. So I guess you could in theory, uh, if you really wanted if you've forgotten half your army, you could play as the attacker and just keep recycling your units as they die. I mean, yeah. Um, I, it would probably be suggested in that case that say you both play with a thousand point army initially because you've got your thousand points and your opponent yep. just uses a thousand of theirs. But as your units die, they just recycle. Yeah, so it's another way of getting the unbalanced effect without necessarily Even if you start having at the same starting yep. point. Yeah. yeah. That's a it's it's a bit of a, a classic trope in a lot of scenarios we've seen over the years, isn't it? Uh, units come back and make it so that you know, though the sides are technically balanced at the start, it's uh, quickly becomes obvious that one side has has the advantage of numbers. Yeah, I mean that is just a dead simple and quick way to turn any mission from any mission pack into a unbalanced game. By simply giving one player sustained assault, yeah. Um, so just basically, I mean, I think it's as written in the core sort of rules from Eighth Edition. Because I, I can't <laughs> remember if there's, if there's an example of sustained assault in the Ninth Book, Ninth Ninth Ed Book. But basically, uh, um, I know what it used to be in like the Vigilus missions and stuff was that for any non-unique unit, so for example, you can't do Mortarian, you know, or Magnus or whatever, because they're a special character. Mm-hmm. But um, whenever a unit is destroyed, if it's a troop choice, you roll a dice on a 2+, plus, you can set it back up on your table edge, in your deployment yep. zone that's starting your next turn. If it's a non-troop choice unit, you roll a dice on a 4+, plus, you can set it back up on your table edge. Yeah. So... Uh, I- inevitably you do just keep cycling more stuff onto the board and it keeps coming at the enemy and you just keep attacking them yeah one thing i i would say is that this mechanic is a lot stronger for armies with good shooting than it is for melee armies because you end up just coming back on the board edge and then you kind of are out of the game basically with those units well i mean for a ninth edition variant on that, you could basically allow yes. um, sustained assault units to come on via um, strategic reserve. Strategic reserve, yeah, yeah, that would work very well. So, if a recycled unit comes on on turn two, it could come on in like the no man's land, yeah, not near opponent's table edge. If it comes on in turn three, it could appear in your opponent's deployment zone, so long as it's not within nine inches of their table edge. Yeah. and stuff like that so the assault is getting closer and closer as the game goes on yeah um the other option to that is you can just remove the turn limit like most missions I mean, yeah. you know finish at turn five but you could just keep going or even use random game length um to possibly go up to you know turn seven and that combined of sustained assault could lead to that overwhelming odds 
scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different, slightly different ways you can do that effect, but yeah, it's a good one. The The general concept of stuff comes back. And then... I mean, it lets you fight a big game without having lots of models as well. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and then I had sort of a few ideas about how you might um, sort of involve unbalanced missions across like a wider narrative or series of games. So again, we did an episode previously talking about like linked games. Um, I mean, again, it was part of our chapter approved coverage, but so if you're going to run a campaign, then it could be that perhaps, you know, your win slash loss in one game yields bonus points or power level in the next game. Yeah. So you're not talking about, you know, overwhelming odds, but maybe if, you know, if you win a mission, then in the next game only, you get to play with an extra 20% of whatever the points value is. Yeah. Which, you know, it gives you that edge in that game. But then maybe the victory condition in that game is, you know, extra requisition for Crusade or something. You know, it's, it's not going to snowball. Otherwise, you'll all, quite often, you'll just keep growing your army larger and larger than your opponents. Yeah, or, that's, a, that's a real problem with this kind of thing. Is, uh, but you could have it as like that. a one-off. Yeah. Like if, um, back to our like campaign week example, it could be that whichever force wins its campaign week, like whichever Grand Alliance, they get to play with an extra 10% um, points value for the next week only. Yeah. Um, or possibly, you know, even just um, the next game only, but whatever, like it's just that example of one force is slightly getting the upper hand. And if it's just a small upper hand and you're 10%, 20%, maybe that's when you use things like the ruse cards from open war, but you don't necessarily need to use a sudden death. Yeah. So those are just sort of like all a few different examples of how you can go about creating sort of an unbalanced game um, in ninth edition. But then obviously it wouldn't be the narrative war game podcast if we didn't have a small section dedicated to crusade. <laughs> so I also did do some thinking about how you might be able to implement an unbalanced game in a game of crusade. So like my first thought was about playing with playing a game where you played the different um, sizes of armies, like as in scale of missions. So like you could play one player using an incursion force versus another player using a strike force. force. Okay. Um, I mean, you could do that. Yeah. Because I, that just, it also allows you if you really wanted to, to play with two players who've got different, scales of order of battle and the yep. player with a larger force could use their entire order of battle yep um i would suggest that in this case you would play like an incursion mission so basically you're not trying to ask that the small force achieves something beyond its means you're giving the small force its usual kind of scale of mission to achieve it's just that the opponent has a slightly larger force to bring to bear Um, but what I would say is that the larger force just gets a, um, a free use of the rest and recuperate or the rearm and resupply requisition as its victory reward instead of whatever the mission reward is for that mission, because realistically they're bringing the larger force 
they're more than likely going to win. Yeah. So if the you know the usual rewards are there for your agendas and you both get a requisition for playing a game, but if the larger force is just gets the opportunity to basically heal a battle scar or like re-equip a unit, um, you know, change loadouts on your intercessors or whatever. Yep. It gives you sort of like an incentive to play because you're still going to get something useful for you as your order of battle if you do win with the larger army. But it's not like you're just going to be harvesting free relics or battle traits out of it. No, yeah. Mm. You're essentially patching up or reconfiguring your force. So you're not really advancing it a ton by crushing someone with a smaller army. Yeah. <laughs> um. But on the flip side of that, and the reason why you might play with small force is I would suggest if you did win the mission with the smaller army, given that it's only going to be between, you know, a hundred to 500 point difference between your forces. Um, I'd say that the small force should get double the mission reward if they do win. Spicy. So, you know, get to mark three units for greatness instead of two, you know, get a two bonus requisition instead of one bonus. Ooh. Whatever it is, you know, if you if you win with your thousand point army because you score more of the victory points against the twelve hundred point army, then yeah, have have free requisition for that game <laughs> rather than two. Yep, I mean it is it is basically like you've just won two games at the same time. Yeah, and I would also say that the smaller force gets a bonus mark to greatness regardless of the outcome. Yeah, fair. So basically, the idea is that if you're going to play this game where it's one um, army size versus the other, the chances are the realistic outcome is that the larger strike force is going to win, but they're only going to get a minor like reward. And even though they've lost, the smaller force will still get to pick two units to mark for greatness. Yeah. So you're basically helping the smaller force gain some XP and the larger force gets the opportunity to sort of repair and re-equip stuff but if the smaller force does win then they really get a big payout for it yeah yeah um, it feels to me like in a, in a crusade that would represent the sort of uh, routine engagement for the larger force that you wouldn't normally play a game for uh, it's just a thing that happens um like I assume an army that's on a crusade would fight against lesser armies all the time and just you know there there's there's no nothing to show for it um but in this situation maybe it's just that that smaller army just is a uh, a little bit a little bit tougher than they expected and then speaking of tougher forces yeah. i yes. also had this idea for um taking a crusade army and playing it against someone who's not playing a crusade themselves. So they're just playing, you know, their match play, take on all comers list or whatever, or just whatever cool things they've recently bought and want to use. Yeah. You know, they've just picked up a new army, they haven't played Crusader yet, but they want to play 2,000 points or whatever. Yeah. Now, obviously, as it currently exists, the system for Crusade does allow that. It's just that it does. because you would have your Crusade points and they'd have no Crusade points, they get a bonus amount of... Um, command points. Yes, to play with. You get one command point for every two crusade points your yeah. opponent is over you by. 
but sometimes that could almost become a little bit surplus if it's like, well, let's play yeah. two, let's play two thousand points each, but you're gonna have twenty command points <laughs> to my yep. twelve, or you're I gonna did, have, uh... have twenty five or whatever. <laughs> I, I did play a game on uh, on Tabletop Simulator of Crusade where uh, I had something like forty two command points at the start. Yeah, which forty two command points, which was pretty hilarious. Um, well, yeah, why? Yeah, so why not as an alternative? If you've got this super elite crusade force where every unit in your army has got like you know crusade relics and archaeotech and battle traits and weapon enhancements out the wazoo, <laughs> then in theory those you know highly advanced warriors should be able to take on you know greater all stuff yeah. yeah so why not try playing a game where the crusade points are equated into bonus power level for yep. your opponent so if you've got a crusade force that's got 25 crusade points you know well why not give play a game where your opponent has 25 more power level than you oof but you've got 25 crusade points of upgrades and special rules and relics and abilities True. that they don't have. Spicy. So, yeah, that yeah. could be a good way of in, you know, playing an unbalanced game with crusade. Because it's not really unbalanced, but it's a different scale. They've got a larger force than you, but you've got a more elite force. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be interested to see how that, you know, behaves as a, a balancing mechanic. I mean, that'd be good for playing you know uh, an elite um well that'd be good for if we go back to the uh battle of mccrag example previously Ooh, elite yeah. force of space marines full of terminators fighting an endless horde of tyranids yeah with all those really skilled up kitted out yep. you know terminators versus you know a whole horde of gaunts and yeah ab- absolutely and no monsters. upgrade termagants yeah yeah um and then I had another sort of like fun idea which results in unbalanced games but doesn't start there because okay. I think this is something that you could try if you've got you know um, a, a play group and you want to run a short-term campaign that's going to run for a couple of weeks maybe a month or two and that's if you use a permadeath system for crusade okay where if a unit fails an out-of-action test, it's just dead and it's removed from your order of battle. Right. And rather than starting with a 25-power level Crusade force that you build up over time, you basically run a reverse Crusade campaign where players start with a 100-power level order of battle. Okay. But out-of-action results goes down. kill your units. Yeah. So by the time that you play in your third or fourth game, you're not going to have a hundred power level anymore, <laughs> and the the odds of your opponent having the same power level as you is going to be slim. It might be seventy versus sixty power level. Yeah, and yeah, those games are going to have a slight imbalance in what you're bringing, but that's kind of the point of this very short term, quick, brutal Iron Man style Crusade <laughs> campaign. And I'd say that you know when a force is reduced to below twenty power level, it's basically under combat patrol strength at that point. It's no longer a viable fighting force. They're eliminated from the campaign. Get out. Yeah, and yeah. you're gonna end. Okay. You're gonna end up with a you know like 
a play group of six players who are the two mums are just going to whittle each other down. And by the end of it, you're going to end up with some pretty experienced, but also, you know, pretty battered and ragtagged combat yeah. patrols. Cause you're going to end up with a really weird associate, like selection yeah. of units as well. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think with- you'd, you'd have to do a little bit of tweaking to the rules to make it work, but it certainly could be an interesting concept. Um, yeah. I could, I could imagine you could do something like if you win a game, uh, you could like re-roll one of your your out of action yeah, out of action roll or something like that. Or, yeah, or make or make it so that the out of actions happen more frequently rather than just one in six. You could make it more brutal so that it's like one in three or whatever. Um, there's a yeah, because I, mean, I can and... imagine if you at the start of that you might just go I'm forgo the mission entirely. I'm just going to try and kill the opponent because it will make my life easier later down the line. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to do, um, if you've only got like, say, three or four players and you're quite happy with the extra bookkeeping, you could even start doing out of action tests on a model by model basis. Oof. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like if they go out, you know, if they roll a one, they're dead, you know, <laughs> and, and then you might end up with understrength units yeah. forming up, you know, your ragtag combat patrol by the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't fancy playing that with the aforementioned hundreds of termagants with no upgrades list. Yeah, but by the end, you'd have tens of termagants with hundreds of <laughs> upgrades. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I think that's sort of pretty much the main gist of stuff for ninth edition that I've come up with as ideas yep. for. I mean, the the other thing play. is there's there's always stuff that aren't really like rules in in publications there's um a lot of stuff you can do just by tweaking the the kind of like the layout of the board and stuff like that like you can you can give the the underpowered force the cho- the choice of turn one or two for instance that's a that's a massive advantage uh, that doesn't you know have a points cost associated with it or anything you could yeah. uh, you could just set up the terrain so that the the underpowered force has loads of cover, and the other, and the overpowering force doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of you know little things you can do that you don't even have to have have a book to tell you how to do it. Uh, just uh, just simple tweaks to make the game a bit more balanced in one favor or against one favor. Yeah, and I'm all, I'm always gonna like keep an eye out for anything in future stuff that comes up that might be of use you know yeah to use in this manner as well so i'm sure we might see some more stuff coming up soon again i'm, I'm interested to see what's going to be in the book of fire yeah um, see what sort of campaign stuff there is in there i know that um i've just got my latest issue of white dwarf today and it does finally after six months conclude the um <laughs> flashpoint charidon yeah um and guess what their advertising is going to be in next month's issue flashpoint something Flashpoint Octarius. Ooh. Which I believe is Crippman's Folly, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. It's the um the massive orcs empire versus the massive Tyranid High Fleets that are just beating the hell out of each other and whoever ends up coming out the winner, uh, everyone yes. else is gonna lose. <laughs> uh as, as I understand it, some um some uh, demons appeared in the middle of that fight as well. So, in the current yeah. lore, it's a three-way fight, <laughs> which is 
Bad. Whoever wins, the Imperium loses. <laughs> yes. That's that's very interesting because obviously we've got an Orc Codex coming. Yeah. And, and, uh, and obviously um, Char- uh, Flashpoint, um, the Flashpoints have run alongside um, yes. a series of the various things going on in the wider narrative recently because Argavon was all alongside the Pariah Nexus stuff. Charadon has been alongside all, you know, Metallica. So I wonder if Octarius is possibly the setting of the next major conflict we're going to mm. see. I don't know if you've um if you've seen the newer versions of the secondaries for match play games. I have, yes. Uh, and there is there is a replacement for um the old uh, deploy scramblers, which is called Retrieve Octarius Data. So maybe that's where we're heading next. Mm. Mm. Look at that! They snuck in some narrative into uh, into match play there. Well, very clever then. But do you know where we are going to be heading next? Go on. To the end of the show, because I think hey. <laughs> that is about everything for tonight. Um, so just before we go out the door, we will give a, a very quick, literally sort of like 60-second community shout-out. Um, yes. Community spotlight, even. Because the this episode has already gone on for, you know, longer than i intended but it's also been a really good one and i don't want to <laughs> skip the, the spotlights because um for myself i've recently discovered and been really enjoying the lookouts uh warhammer 40k podcast okay. um i've actually been really enjoying it because it's quite a um like an, an english centric podcast and i find there's not a lot of them out there most of the other sort of 40k content is quite often American um, adjacent, if nothing else, in nature. <laughs> so Canadian. If you want to see or listen to some some other sort of English podcasters talking about 40k, um, check out the Lookout Sir Warhammer what's, 40k podcast. What's the uh, the general premise of, of what they talk about? Is it just kind of a bit of everything? Bit of everything. Uh, it's generally sort of like new releases and you right. know, what the goings on, like hobby news. Yeah. But um, so like recently they've been talking about you know the um, the latest grand tournament mission pack. But then like um, an episode or two ago, they were talking about all the um, Index Astartes articles in White Dwarf. Cool. And they were doing like a deep dive into things like that, so like the Emperor's Spears, the Exorcists, nice, the Silver Templars. Um, so it, it's kind of latest goings on in the hobby like they talked about they did like a two-part episode on warmer fest reveals you know and so on so they're, they're kind of a current affairs in 40k i guess fair enough yep okay and, uh, how about yep. yourself then for me uh, i've got an instagram account for you all uh it's this is reverend ryu uh, he is uh, an awesome painter, paints lots of space marines um, in his custom chapter, who are the Void Hawks. Um, and he paints a lot of kind of old hammer type stuff as well. Uh, sort of weird, like bits and pieces from, from way back or interesting models. Like he painted the, the Jakiro from the Inquisitors like sets not long ago. Um, just generally uh a cool account to follow that's uh reverend ryu it's uh with the r y u 
I will have to check that out myself, and I imagine Dave's probably also checking it out if it's got lots of old hammer on it. Yeah, it feels like it's probably right up his street. So yeah, um, go check those out, guys, if you haven't done already. Um, thank you for listening to the show again. Uh, go check out the Patreon if you're interested in hearing more from us and our casual conversations. And you know, if you do enjoy what you've been hearing and uh, everything we go on about, then don't forget to you know. Give us a like, give us some five stars, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, it really does help other people find the show. It helps you know, all these algorithms proliferate it out to other people. And uh, we pop up in recommended lists and all the rest of it. And that's just how people find us. And it's just, it really is the lifeblood of uh, the show to an extent. So please do uh, feel free to drop a comment or a like or such. Feed the and algorithm. Feed the algorithm. The Omnissiah demands it. Eat poop. <laughs> so, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40k. I assume your intro is going to be something like that.